Hello and welcome to the Super Show, your weekly dose of hot takes and trash opinions. Today I am your host Alex Jones and I am joined with I'm joined I'm joined by Jamie. That's what I'm trying to say. Jesus Jamie, it's going to be a rough one today, I can tell already. How are you doing mate? You're right. I'm well. I'm well. I'm survived the uh episode 100 bonanza. I'm glad to be able to say. And it looks like we're marking the first day of the rest of our lives by going into this a man down, which, you know, begin as you mean to go on, I think is what they say, right? In the biz. Yeah, I think uh, finding all those clips for the 100th episode uh, wore Chris out so much and all that editing has meant that he's uh, he needs some time to rest and recuperate. So, uh, <laughs> so he's yes. not here. So it's just yes. us two this week. Yeah, I feel like we should also actually say that, yes, Chris did uh, put in a big shift getting that together and we thank him for it. But also, ironically, he's not here because he had to go on a uh, bit of work travel. He did indeed, yes. He, he has a real job as well as doing this. So uh, Yeah, that's imagine that. That's why he's not here. He's not really burnt out. It takes a lot more to burn Chris out. One one little podcast. The man's a machine. He's like the Duracell bunny, except somehow smaller and South yeah. African. Yeah, he's in real life, he's this big. It's great. It's yeah, pocket-sized. The first time I met him, I poured water in him. I assumed he would expand afterwards. Um, kind of like a shrunken head situation. Didn't work. Do you know, I once got a, uh, a, a sh- one of those shrunken towels, which is like dried out, and it's in yes. like a little package, and it was about this big, and it said it was a beach towel. So I thought that if you added a bit of water to this thing, it would become the size of a towel that you would take to the beach and lie on. And it was an absolute lie. It was the size of a flannel. So um, I was... Oh. I was well, then what's the point of even shrinking it then? Like, why shrink something that's already small? Yeah, to be fair, I reckon I could have scrunched this thing the size of yeah. a panel. I don't think it needed to quite be dried yeah. out and packaged. We lost we lost our way at some point when the revolution to make everything small and thin. Because I was on the train the other day and I was reminded by an older gentleman opposite me just how crazy iPods got in the era before the iPhone when we were dealing about multi- dealing with multiple iterations of nanos. And it got right. to the point where there were these screenless squares that just had like a few buttons. And it was like, I want an interface, baby. Like, show me something. I want to be, I want to be able to play like Brick Breaker or whatever it's called when I'm, you know, listening to music. There was, um, there was a time with mobile phones when they were just getting smaller and smaller. And I think the aim was, how small can you go? And I remember a mate of mine had one which was so small, it looked like a toy. And it was, it was hard for him to push the buttons. And this was before smartphones, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that those days went away and that we got back to proper, yeah. real world-sized well, things. You always have to give credit to Steve Jobs because I remember the day he got up on that stage and held an iPad up in front of the world and everyone just goes, well, that, just, that looks stupid. It's just a big iPhone. And then like right. a decade later, that's what everyone wanted. They wanted the biggest phone that could possibly still fit in their pocket. Yes. Even if you have to fold it in half. Yeah, that's the thing now. Now you can fold them and put them away. Um, Well, before we get on with some news, I should probably do uh, a couple of um, housekeeping things. So we are a uh, gaming podcast. We're available on YouTube and on uh, podcasting platforms of your choice. I'm talking Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and many, many others. We are also on Twitter and Instagram. You can, well, we're not on Instagram that much, but we are on Instagram. You can reach out to us um, at supershowpod. we are, like I said, on YouTube. So if you're listening to us right now on podcast platform and you want to see our little faces, you can go over to YouTube and you can um, you can see us as we talk, not just listen to us. Also, we are on um, Pseudo Radio, 
This isn't radio because it's not coming through the radio waves, but we are on the next best thing is internet radio. We are at paisleyradio.com and that's Thursdays at 10 o'clock, repeated on Mondays at 10 o'clock. So you've got a myriad of ways to um, see us, look at us, listen to us and respond to us if you want on the YouTube channel. But the best way to respond to us, Jamie, is Mm. if you pay as little as $2 a month, you can join the Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash super show and you can chat to us on Discord which is pretty good. Then it's not even a question of response. You could just at us in the middle of the night, local time for you, which is probably about between 3 and 5 a.m. for us, depending on where you are in the world. And uh, you can wake us up in the middle of the night, and that's a power that anyone can wield for as little as $2 a month. It is, absolutely. And uh, if you go up to the $5 tier and above, you also get access to a whole bunch of um, secret content, which is only available to those members. Um, There is something that went up there a couple of days ago, Jay. Do we are we allowed to talk about what that is? I do we we absolutely are allowed to talk about. Okay, it. one of the reasons yeah. we put it up was so that we could talk about it in this very show. True. Um, so uh, some of you will know, some of you won't. Now, before we had the Super Show, we used to have um, a YouTube channel called All Time Gaming, um, and we got to a relatively reasonable size on YouTube back in the day, didn't we, Jamie? We had a, a healthy subscriber base and we used to make, we used to make a um, series of videos called, well, we called them six lists, but generally they were like, you know, six reasons uh, or six of the worst games or it'd be six hidden endings to games. And Chris, Jamie and I would get together and we'd record them together. And so we decided for Christmas that we'd do something a little bit special. So we did get together in person, in real life, and we recorded three, not one, three, six lists. And the first one um, has gone live for our Patreons for the $5 tier and above and is available right now if you are um, a Patreon of ours. They will also be coming to this channel, to the or to the YouTube channel, I should say. Um, so that is, like I said, youtube.com uh, forward slash super show pod. I always get that wrong. Super show, super show pod. I think you got it. They'll find it. They'll find it. Um but there'll be two more going live as well, which I'm not going to tell you what they are. Uh, one to be coming in the next few days and one uh, next week. So stay tuned. Ring the bell for notifications. Yeah. And you can get some old school ATG style six list goodness yeah. just before Christmas. Uh, I've got to say, like, I don't want to toot my own horn too loudly, but if the folks at home have as much fun watching those videos as I think we had getting together and recording them after, you know, what was it? Two years maybe without a six list uh, in our lives. Um, then hopefully that becomes a nice little Christmas treat and a way of saying thank you to uh, to everyone who has continues to support us and uh, especially all the people who chimed in and uh, and said nice things about uh, the little episode 100 we did last week as well. Thank you to all those kind folks. Absolutely. I was really impressed with people um, watching the entire thing so far so that they could get the uh, little code word at the end and they could put it in the uh, comments below the YouTube. Right, especially because how long did that thing end up being? I think it was like three hours and 45 minutes or that sort of ballpark. So that is Three hours and 15. 15, 15, okay. So long, a long video though. Got to be our longest, I would have thought. It's definitely up there. It's definitely up there. We might have once snuck over before, um, but it's, it's in the ballpark. That's for sure. Um, but if you're watching this or listening to this, uh, you're already giving something to us. And if you're a Patreon, you're obviously giving even more to us. So we would like to give a little something back that we will talk about later in the show. But I'll reference it now quickly, which is to say that for you can get 20% off at Manscaped, uh, manscaped.com if you fancy getting yourself a little trimmer. A, a below, what do they call it? A below-the-neck-like trimmer. You can trim everything with this thing. Um, I suppose you could trim your face as well, so it's not necessarily below the neck, but... 
Um, Manscaped.com. Uh, use the code word SUPERSHOW and you can get 20% off. Um, we'll have a little ad spot later on as well where I talk a little bit more about that. And Jamie will regale you with tales about what he's been shaving this week. So um, Yeah, I should clarify up front, I didn't do my haircut with, the, uh, with, the, with any Manscaped products. That was a, that was a barber <laughs> job. You didn't take the manscape with you and ask him to just use that because that I think that's required in the um, you know the, the is that part of the brief? Yeah, is that what the, is that what I signed? The the contract said it's like when you become James Bond, you're only allowed to wear a tuxedo when you're in the role of James Bond. When you do a deal with Manscaped, you must only ever cut any of your hair with the Manscaped trimmer. I see. I might have broken the contract already. Then James, don't you? get ready to remortgage the house. We're in trouble. <laughs> Um, I think we should probably kick this off the right way and jump straight into a little news story. Uh, Hell yeah. Actually, won't surprise anybody because it's nothing to do with video games. It is. <laughs> it's, uh, what do you call it? Adjacent. Video game adjacent. So, uh, Okay, I'll let you have that. Yes. Thank you. I am talking about the fact that The Matrix uh, is coming back. It is being resurrected. Um, yes, The Matrix Resurrections will be released on the 22nd of December. And there was a new trailer that dropped this week. Um, but before we talk about that, because I do want to chat to you about that, Jamie, and see what you thought of it, I'll quickly say that one of the reasons I say it's adjacent is because tonight, Thursday, the 9th of December, as we record this, Keanu Reeves and Carrie-Anne Moss are going to be at the Game Awards, Jeff Keighley's lovely Game Awards, um, to reveal, or well, reveal, but to talk about the Matrix Awakens tech demo for the Unreal Engine 5. Um, which mm. is available on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and Series S, and not PC. Um, yeah, I interesting, think it's, Matt. I think it's available from today. Like, I think you can preload it, and it's probably be, they'll probably go, oh, it's available now um, yeah. at, the, at the show, so that'll be available at like 2 o'clock in the morning or something. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to say, like we're usually quite good at um, staying up later if we need to or making sort of fine adjustments to work shows like that into our recording schedule. But regrettably... Keeley's uh, Game Awards, always a little bit pushy and punchy on the schedule, uh, which is 1 a.m. local time for us. So we weren't going to stay up, then watch that, then record, regrettably. But um, we will be reacting to all things Game Awards related next week. Be sure of that. You say we weren't, Jamie. I always get the feeling, though, that if I'd have replied to you and said, come on, man, we can do it, let's stay up, watch it, and then do the show, you would have gone... Oh, oh God. The thing is, like, I do like that feeling. I lo- really like, and I don't know why this is, I get a weird buzz out of staying up for work-related things. Like, when we yeah. had to do live streaming for uh, the whole of E3 one summer, I think it was 2019, uh, but still being based in London, as opposed to, say, 2018 when we were out in LA for it, I was so up for that challenge. And that was like, you know, hey, you're going to go live at, you know, maybe 1 a.m. or something like that, or 2 a.m. and, and stream through to the early hours of the morning. And we were doing reverse schedules uh, with our work. We would come into work when everyone else was leaving. And I loved it. I loved it. We ordered pizza, you know, loaded up on caffeine and, and got ready to go. Um, was, and yeah, was, so yeah, I probably would have done that tonight if you, if you had wanted to. But that's not realistic or no, sensible. No, it's a bit much when we, yeah, we're, no, we can, we can watch it tomorrow and then we can talk about it next week. So I think that's a much better way of doing it. Well, can, yeah. you know, oh well. But we can at least talk about the fact that we've seen the Matrix Resurrections new trailer because the second trailer came out this week, um, and it's put me in a much better place with regard to this film. I'm glad to hear that. Can I can, can I kick things off then? Can I by asking you what you saw 
or heard or felt maybe that put you in that better place compared to that first trailer? So I, for me, the first trailer was looking too much or felt too much like it was trying to rehash old ground from the first movie. And, and I kind of felt like, oh, they're just trying to do a bit of a, um, a nostalgia grab and they're trying to use people's goodwill to go, don't worry about the third Matrix movie or the second Matrix movie. We're taking it back to the first one. We're taking it back to what you loved. Like you can just enjoy this film. I don't want to say I thought it was a cash grab, but it was maybe wandering into that sort of dark territory. With the second trailer, um, it feels like, no, it's it's an, uh, an important part of the narrative is the fact that it's like a loop and there are similarities between the first one and it goes back to... Um, he's not Neo, he's Thomas Anderson again, and uh, he's experiencing some of the same feelings and some of the same things, but this time it's not the same. And so I'm like, okay, mm. you're, it's, it's using the first movie as a jump off point to say, this is what you've seen before, but this is not the same. This is something different. And that's maybe going to set up the entire film. So I kind of, I was like, all oh, right, it's part of the film. It's not a grab. It's not a, like a, it's not a cash in on people's goodwill. It's, um, Something new, something fresh. Yes, yeah, sure. I get what you mean. I, I think we discussed that last time, right? When the first trailer dropped, we talked about the obvious references to the first film, the first Matrix film that existed within that trailer, even to the point where at one point, and it's a scene that's actually reused again in the second trailer, it appears as those scenes from the first Matrix film, as they were shot and edited and finished and graded, were being projected in the back of a room that some other play- scene seems to take place in. And yes. you kind of get into this weird thing of like, okay, clearly, yes, they are drawing lines and making comparisons between the two, but like, how does it fit? And like you said, yeah, the, the idea of loops kind of makes sense. And if you change enough or establish enough that kind of makes you question what is consistent between loops or not consistent between loops. Uh, You get into interesting stuff. I wonder, though, talking about looping, do you think they mean looping and... Because obviously this is now... It's now very explicit that this Thomas Anderson has is, for whatever reason, having visions or memories or flashbacks, whatever they are, of things relating to the previous films. Do you think it's like a loop in like a colloquial sense? Like, oh, it's like it's just a loop in that uh, things always loop. Or do you think it's literally like, oh, the Matrix got reboot and the same people are in it? I think it's going to be um, the, the Matrix has been rebooted. And it's, and, but not, and not, so people that are familiar with the series will know that there is this idea that what, there is a one who is born into the Matrix because there's a human problem and the, the program effectively has to like get remade on a cyclical basis. And re- the machines even reference the fact that this is like the eighth time that they've destroyed Zion. Yes. Um, and Neo, when he first interacts with the architect, is given the opportunity right. to essentially remove himself from the matrix the matrix will be rebooted and he can become the person who is like uh takes makes the initial steps on what would be the zion side of a new matrix if that makes sense yes yes yeah. so it's actually it's a really dark kind of thing there's it's uh, do you know oh my goodness i'll tell you what is what is similar to the plot of the movie snowpiercer oh my god so who's getting raped by a, by a polar bear <laughs> well we don't know yet, but the because the idea in Snowpiercer is um, that the 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 people you think are on your side who are pushing the revolution are actually in on it, and they they push the revolution so that you the people revolt. They there's an uprising, they're quelled, 
and the um, a percentage of the people are killed off and then they go back to being um, slaves again. And then after a certain amount of time, there's another uprising and then there, and then again, the numbers are put down and it's like a cyclical thing. Um, the interesting thing with the Matrix though and with the idea of looping and saying, is it just another Matrix loop, is the, the idea of looping in uh, like, not like personalities, but people looping again and again in, in different lives almost is really right. common with the Wachowskis. Because if you think of Cloud Atlas, if you think of Jupiter Ascending, there is a theme of people happening again. Um, yes, so definitely. So I, I think the idea of this is going to be much more complicated than just, oh, it's another well, version of the Matrix. I think e- it might even, be more to it than that. A lot more. Even it. looking at the characters we've got, right? We have characters that appear to have aged... Uh, in keeping with the time that has passed since The Matrix. We've got characters that, if you listen to some fans, appear to have aged more exaggerated ways than the passing of time since The Matrix. Like Again, it might, this might be reaching, but some people have suggested that um, Jada Pinkett's Niobe looks older than she should. Yeah. Uh, like they've almost made her look older. Um, uh, the, but then, of course, you have like misnomers in that like the people that appear to be traveling from zion into the matrix from the real world into the matrix i should say to wake up this version of uh thomas anderson are new to us we've never seen them before we also have what appears to be some kind of new take on morpheus which obviously won't be a straight morpheus too but like I've even seen theories again, like that I hope people don't mind theories, but I've even seen theories that like Morpheus was never actually a program, a person Morpheus is a program and it's the program designed to red pill people to initiate the ending of the matrix almost, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, And then you've also got the um, elephant in the room, which is that again, I wouldn't blame um, Lana Wachowski for doubling back on this, but the matrix online is Canon supposedly. And the Matrix Online continues from where the Matrix Revolutions left off and explores the idea that the machines never returned Neo's body to the to um, to the humans, which uh, sparked a lot of anger. Morpheus then basically becomes a terrorist and an anarchist in response. Morpheus is assassinated, presumably by the Merovingian. All kinds of weird things happen in the Matrix Online that, at the time, we were told were canon. Um so I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see the answers to those questions. And then, of course, you've got Jonathan Groff, who, from between trailer one and trailer two, went from being what some people thought was Neo's um, or Thomas Anderson's agent in a movie career to now being a literal agent who is now saying lines that Agent Smith said. Yes. Like I, word for word. I won't... Do you know what? I, I can't help but think that it's it's going to be like a uh, multi-layered simulation type thing. So the whole, when they escaped the Matrix in the first three films, they weren't coming out of the Matrix at all. Like the Matrix included Zion, it included the machines, it included all of that. And it is like a multi-tiered thing. And so you find, oh, this is just another level like down. Almost like, um, uh, oh God, what's the, what's the film with the multiple kicks where you have to come? Inception. Like, Inception, like, right. So you can go layers deep in a dream. Like this is almost... You could, they could, but th- this is the thing. They can also get away with anything. You're saying about online being mm-hmm. canon. If that, if that is true, that you could say, yeah, that happened, but it was in a digital world and they, this person didn't really die or that person didn't. It would also explain why some characters are older than others. If they did like a weird time thing where they said, well, you age at different rates and different layers of the matrix, but it would be a bit, a bit much. Um, can't stand Jada Pinkett Smith anymore, but I'll just say that. 
I mean, her, her sort of personal life shit over the last couple of years has become increasingly fascinating and bizarre. I saw a, um, I saw a great um, uh, headline the other day, which was like, why does, why does Jada Pinkett Smith keep trying to hurt Will? And it was just like a list of all the stuff she's done and said about him. And um, Some of that shit's crazy. Uh, yeah, like, I think we talked about was it the week before last um, that I'd watched the Will Smith like documentary thing, right? Yeah, uh, and really liked it, and thought it's it's interesting that she's not in it. I was like, yeah, I probably wouldn't want her in it either. She's just like she'll probably start just trying to ruin it for you and make yeah. everything terrible. But you know, that's like that's like the stage in the marriage where normal people start sleeping in separate bedrooms and stay married. But when you got that much money, you just start sleeping in separate houses and st- and stay married. <laughs> yeah, and just say that you're still married. No, no, we're fine. We're great. Yeah, like you've got an entirely different family somewhere else. Yeah, uh, don't worry about them. We're still together. Exactly. But um, no, I'm I'm yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's I think it's going to be cool, and I'm I'm looking forward to even if it even if it is something kind of wacky and something a bit different. I think it's uh, yeah. about time we had a new new I, Matrix movie. I will say though, I do still have some reservations, shall we say, about what the sort of trademark Wachowski Matrix style special effects look like by modern day standards. And it's not like they're poorly done. It's just that someone described it very well. It's like it's almost clean, almost HDR like look to them. Right. That um like some of those exaggerated impacts that we're used to seeing in their combat scenes, they're actually like they don't sell as well. And so when you have scenes that like are almost recreations of scenes that I really like from the first Matrix. Like it, it appears like there's another ver- variation of a dojo scene with um, Neo and some like whatever that version of Morpheus is. And it, again, it appears like there is a one-on-one fight with Neo and Jonathan Groff's you know Smith-like character, which again involves people being hurled into concrete walls and giant holes being left inside concrete walls. <laughs> yes. um, but like when I look at like the, almost the weird like. Like it's almost like Star Wars Force Unleashed Force Pussy Force Pushy stuff where like huge waves of energy coming off of everyone and everything and like I don't know, like I see, yeah, I quite I, like that. Because if if this is the, so one of the problems they had, and we've talked about before with the Matrix, is that you get is the Superman problem, right? Which is he was far too powerful at the end of the first mo- movie. Neo he literally what is the quote from Link? He's doing the Superman thing. Oh, right, because he flies off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um but that kind of puts you in a really difficult position because if you're too powerful, you get a really boring film where you can do whatever you want. And it felt like the second movie especially was hampered by the fact that Neo, they had to try and accommodate the fact that Neo can do all these stupidly, insanely powerful things like fly around and stop everyone and fight anybody. And you probably ended up with some stuff in the film that shouldn't have been there purely mm-hmm. based on the fact they stitched themselves up with the first one. Having him kind of forget who he is and that and then try and rediscover it and then just have his force push or some energy, whatever. And that I, it looks good. Like it looks like that's a much better way of handling with him trying to be, he's not like everyone else. He is super powerful, but you don't want to go down the route of, Oh, he can just do whatever he wants because then it gets boring. Right. Cause yes. So there's a scene where he's stopping the bullets from the helicopter in the trailer and like from yeah. Carrie Ann Moss is standing behind him and he's like, but he looks like it's difficult and he's, and it's hurting him to do it. And he's, <laughs> He redirects a rocket at some point as well, doesn't he? Right, which the Matrix, the Neo of mate of the first and second Matrix films, would have done that stuff far too easily, and there would have been no peril. You wouldn't have thought it was like even dangerous for him because he can just fly around at the speed of sound and just do whatever he wants, and it's kind of yeah. it's kind of boring. Whereas I like this new direction. I like. Although, like 
I, de- I Neo's flying by the end of this film. I, I reckon I, no, at least I once. Don't. At least once. Nah. I, well, I because the, the implication is from the whether it's you know the rocket bending bullet stopping stuff that you just mentioned or the fight scene that I just mentioned wherein he says the line in the trailer I still know kung fu the implication is that he doesn't need to get jacked out of the matrix and to you know run all those training programs again the mem- like the implication from the trailer at least is that it's still the same neo and it's just like that stuff's buried somewhere within him and needs to and if so like he can fly, dude. I, I really, I really hope they just don't like. They just he, even if he can, it's fine as long as he just doesn't. As long as he just no, no reason. Just, for him just to do a shot for shot recreation of the ending of the first Matrix again. <laughs> just have him coming out of the phone booth. Yeah, I know you're scared. <laughs> Whatever he says. Yeah, he says. Like, I, it's a good, it's a good off. speech. Uh, but no, okay, yeah, no, but I'm psyched for it. I think you are as well. It sounds cool. It's not not going to be long till it's out. And we could get a little bit of a taste, like I said, because of the Unreal 5 um, experience, Matrix experience, which is, uh, it's a tech demo, which is free on the um, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and Series S, which is, yeah, like we said, hopefully should come out um, in the early hours of the morning. And maybe we'll give us something to do while we wait for the Matrix, which will be pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Yes, that's the only way we could possibly pass the time for the next two weeks is hoping that a free Unreal 5 experience fills our boots. Well, it's 25 gig, so it better be decent. If it if it's abandoned levels of shit, like if it's one little shot of a, of a level I mean, it, past the it's, screen, I'm going to be... It's, a fr- it's not going to be that, but it is also going to be a free Unreal Engine experience to promote a movie. Like, you know, it's going to exist between the two realms. I'm not going to expect much. PT? PT levels of would you call PT an experience though like uh, well it was it was a demo right but um, I, you yeah I don't think demo. but then uh, there's nothing to demo here so why make a game well no I imagine I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a game in a conventional sense no no thing. I don't think either I think it will be just but I wouldn't be surprised if you had some of the PT elements esque elements not game elements but like if you can walk through the a fake world which looks oh, really realistic and then you turn around and there's like an Agent Smith there and then you turn around and there's something because that would fit with the Matrix kind of look thing. again exactly right so that would kind of fit with the PT thing but I saw a yes. couple of people online which is the only reason I bring up who were saying like it's not going to be PT levels of you know but we can we'll see hope. we can but hope people right. listening to this will already know <laughs> they will they will um, should we have a comment of the week yes so I've picked one out which is a uh, it's very nice to us, but I thought they all were because it was our 100th episode. And again, thank you everybody for watching the episode and for sticking with yeah. us for this long. Um, so this comes from HK, who says, I've watched these since the beginning with ATG and this year in particular. The pod has become the highlight of my week. It's the banter between you, the tone of the show, the genuine friendship, including getting annoyed with each other and then being fine. And the fact that you guys are the same, but different and all hilarious. I hope you keep this going for a long time. I uh, wish I thought was a nice little comment to... Uh, just cap off the little reminiscing that we allowed ourselves last week. Although yeah. I say that, most of it was just me being an idiot and people getting annoyed with me for arguing about everything. I, but I mean, I put our hands up. Like, we asked people in the YouTube comments and on the Discord to, you know, pick out the moments that seemed memorable to them across hundreds of hours of podcasting. And it just so happened that a lot of it, Jonesy, was <laughs> that time some of your more interesting about takes. This. The times that Jonesy well, was wrong about that. How about just the time that Jonesy shared his opinion about this or the time Jonesy, you know, shared his thoughts on that? Yeah, oh, thank you, mate. That's a, that's a lot nicer way of looking at it. Um, no. But like I said, everyone who watched that on YouTube, uh, everyone who heard it on the podcast platforms, thank you. 
Um, thank you for, for watching it and thank you for commenting. Uh, it is time of the show now to give a little shout out to some of our Patreons, uh, the people who support us um, week in, week out, have managed to get us to 100 episodes um, of the podcast. So um, there are some on screen right now that you can see. Uh, they And I'd like to give a shout out to some as well. I'd like to um, read some names out. They are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Dark Silhouette, Jesper Camdon Nielsen, Javella Keat, Javella Cujo, Leo Merger, Magic Grits, Mindful Pig, Min- Mr. Anthropic, Nathan Piers, part of the 0.24%, if you know, you know, Pastors Guild, Scary Omen, Starfall Kid, Zach Cream, and the Big Dogs. They are Brett Z, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Mognes, stop butchering my fucking name, Mickelson, Manuel Manly Manscaped Man Guerrero, and Peaswad. Thank you so much. Did you look up a pronunciation for that? No. Because I, you, okay, I'm, I reckon we've still butchered it. Mod- Sorry, Magna. Mogna Mogna Mickelson. It's an A though. Ah, do you know what I watch? And I okay, this see, okay. The- this is this is where you, okay, go for it. I watch. Oh, now I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Vikings. No, not Vikings. What's the end of the world thing? Ragnarok. Ragnarok. There is a Norwegian Ro- show called Ragnarok. Um, and yes, and the main guy in it is called Mogna. And they all call him Mogna. Is it is it spelt with an E though? Yes. Because I'm now looking it up and I'm now learning this might be completely separate, and I apologize if um I'm but there's sure a it is. there's also a character um who's otherwise known as Kenji Hikishi in the show My Hero Academia, who's called Magna. Okay. So you know there's there's, there's all kinds of it's open to interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> um let me find, let me find the... You're looking at your Ragnarok thing now. TV series. Uh, it does appear to be a Norwegian Magna, name. His yeah. name is, is spelt Magna, M-A-G-N-E, but they say Mogna. So I'm Interesting. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's go with that. And, and failing that, Mags, maybe. Mags. Or Maggie. Maggie Mickelson. Maggie Mickelson. Um, thank you so much to all of our patrons. Uh, you, you really do keep the lights on. You keep us um, being able to come back week after week uh, and make this podcast for you. And get together... And do six lists now, which was um, hell yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I'm really looking forward to getting out there. Uh, like I said, everyone who is a five dollar tier and above will be able to watch those early, uh, and then they will come out later in December for um, the public for our public channel on YouTube. So um, stay tuned for those. But Jamie, this is the sort of a new section of the podcast right now that we've we've done a couple of times already because this is the time when we give a shout out to a sponsor of the um, of this video of this week's podcast. And like I've got a prop right here, so everyone from last week and the week before would have seen it's the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer um, that you can get your hands on by using the code SuperShow at Manscaped.com. Manscaped have um, sorted us out; they've sent us these cool little packs. It's not only the trimmer; we also got these nice little bags and some ball toner and some ball cleanser um, to give ourselves a trim. And uh, just take care of some of the some of the hair that you might want to get rid of. I went mental, as I said a couple of weeks ago. I sort of got a bit carried away, popped a guard on, and went to town and shaved everything. Oh, dear. see, sometimes there's information I don't need to know. And that, I, like, I didn't do yeah. the legs actually. I, thought, I didn't do the legs. I should say. Okay. I okay. Be I'm, I'm, I've still got a pretty vivid picture in my head of just about everything else you did do. So, 
It was, I just, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it. I've never done it before. I, I enjoyed, I not enjoyed the experience. I, I enjoyed the results. Let me say that. So. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can enjoy both. That's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the experience as well. Uh, <laughs> I suppose so. Um, uh, so yeah, no, the Manscaped 4.0 trimmer is um, the fourth generation, as you would have expect from the old 4.0 um, of trimmers. Uh, it is reduces nicks and cuts. It is um, incredibly easy to use. It has a little light, look, a little headlight, so that you can see what you're doing in the dark or just even in the light. I guess it helps you out. Um, and there are over four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to shave everything. So why not be one of them? Get on the uh, get onto um, manscaped.com, use the code SUPERSHOW, and you'll get 20% off. So there is no reason not to do it. And free worldwide shipping. Yes. And that, do you know what? That for me is a big deal. I tried to buy something the other day from Canada. I think it was from Canada. The shipping was as much as the damn product. Yes. So yes. I didn't, so I didn't buy it. I was uh, trying to come up with gift ideas. For myself to be bought by someone else, if that makes sense. Someone asked me what I want for Christmas. Right, yeah. And I also ran into a situation where it turned out um, shipping something from a website or a company that only manufactures and ships stuff to the US can be an expensive process for us here in the UK. So yes, thank you, Manscaped. Thank you indeed for the worldwide shipping. And with that, I don't want to hear about your balls anymore, Jamie. I want to hear about what you've been playing this week. Hmm. Okay. What if I the kind of the catch twenty two is that the thing I've been playing with is my balls? Uh, okay. Yeah, you can tell us about it again then. Okay. No, don't worry. That's not actually the case. I was exploring that territory. I did play with my balls a little bit, sort of like first week on Manscaped. There is a kind of like a fascinating thing where you keep like like oh 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 okay oh oh yeah. Um, but um, my my stubble's coming back, so I'm going to have to have to head back down there. Uh, that's I'm, what am I, I don't need to talk about that. You don't need to hear about that. I played some Halo Infinite this week. The um, the campaign uh, has finally launched, which I say finally. It feels like finally not just because we've been playing the multiplayer for a couple of weeks, but also finally because at one point in time, we thought we were going to be playing this last Christmas. And yet here we are. It's made it out. And do you know what? Like It, it, it always feels a little bit weird coming on the podcast to talk about a game like this because... The reviews dropped a couple of days ago, and obviously a lot of people were discussing the, the initial critical reception that it was receiving, and people breaking down, you know, the open world components and a lot of the design decision, design decisions that were made around the game. So when you kind of come to it at the same time as everyone else, and then it's your turn to come on to a podcast having played it for like two hours, you, it sometimes feels like I don't have much to add to the conversation. Um, not like a negative way. I'm not trying to neg myself, but you know what I mean. Like a lot of it has been said, and that's kind of where I'm at with Halo Infinite, which is that again, if you've kind of taken an interest in the game so far, and you know at least had sort of a cursory look over what a lot of the major outlets and and individual content creators have said about the game, I kind of find myself agreeing in broad strokes with a lot of what they've said so far. I'd say the moment to moment gameplay. Um, and this was something I was reminded by by the multiplayer is more fun than I remembered. Like I always had it in the back of my head that the Halo formula had aged a little bit, especially in the last two iterations compared to other first person shooter conventions. And even where companies like Bungie, who started the whole damn thing off, went with games like Destiny, that Halo just, you know, the sponginess of enemies, the way they react to getting shots, the weight and the impact of the weapons themselves, it started to feel a little bit lackluster at times. 
And I think they've done some good work to make sure the moment-to-moment gameplay, moment-to-moment gunplay, I guess, more specifically, feels tight again. I still massively prefer using conventional weapons over the alien weapons. I still sometimes think, like, you know, plasma-based weapons, as iconic as some of them are, Mm. like, they just don't always... You know, do the tricks for me. Yeah, they don't quite hit different. But luckily, there's a lot that really does hit right. The melee has always been an iconic sort of feeling in any Halo game. I think when you combine that with a fucking brilliant addition of a grapple hook, you have some really potent combinations. The idea that you can pick up these sort of explosive, not quite barrels, but, you know, like mini barrels that seem to be scattered just fucking everywhere. Like the amount of times I've cleared a room and just said, you know what, before uh, before I leave, I'm going to. I say room in the early stages of the game, there are some traditional halo like uh, levels. And I'm like, I'm going to pick up this explosive thing and take this with me into the next area. So I can start the next fight by just hurling this at someone's head. And it feels really good. Um, I haven't really been able to get into the open world just because there's a bit of buffer in terms of story setup, cutscenes, and levels before you actually are set loose in it. So I'm looking forward to that and seeing how it works. But like, Early impressions are that it's a really encouraging and strong start for a Halo game that feels familiar in a lot of the ways I expected it to, but also pleasantly surprising in some of the ways that I convinced myself that it wouldn't, based off some not-so-hot memories of Halos 4 and 5. Which, you know, when paired with the fact that I think the multiplayer is a very strong offering and a lot of fun, and the fact that both of these components are available as a part of Game Pass, which it sounds like we shill for every time, but again, it's just... It's the only way that any human being should play these games. Don't pay $60 or pounds for Halo Infinite, please. Um, I, feel, I feel like we should give it some tagline by now. We should call it like the best deal in gaming. We should just say that every time we talk about it. I mean, it. again, why the, we talk about it because well, it's such a good deal. That, that, the, only, yeah, the reason I feel like it's such an important distinction to make is that, again, like don't pay full price for these games, no. please, because you just don't need to. Like, if, I get it. If like, you've, um, Forza Horizon 5 and then uh, Halo Infinite. Um, if you if you got Game Pass just to play those two games, you've covered yourself off for more than a year's worth of gaming. And then there's going to be something else that's going to come on there that you're going to want to play as well. So yeah, don't buy them. Don't buy them, people. Just get Game Pass and then uh, yeah. you'll be laughing. But, but to have both of those on there, I think they're two really strong offerings. I don't know whether or not this, you know, thrusts Halo back into kind of like the 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 territory that it used to dominate. Back in you know Halo two to three and well, even Halo CE, um, the sort of era where it was the top dog, it was the guy to beat. It kind of still feels like the um, like the guy who's maybe a bit past his best, but is still fighting. Like every time Sylvester Stallone does a, another Rocky movie, <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, God, like clearly his best days are behind him. Yeah, and then you go down, you're like, actually, like the best thing he. The best thing that uh, Sylvester Sloan did was acknowledging that while he still wanted to make these movies, he still wanted to be in them. Maybe it was time for Creed to take the spotlight. Right. And uh, this is not a great analogy, but like maybe the open world philosophies that have made their way into Halo Infinite are the Creed style, um, <laughs> you know, bait and switch that they're experimenting with. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's solid. It's solid. Um, I don't have. I, I don't, like. I was about to say I don't have much negative to say. I can think of some negative things to say. Um, I, I, can, I, I can think of a few. I, like, I don't know if this tracks for you before I set you up into uh, your t- where you just have to do the opposite side of the coin and grill this game to shit. But like, the story, 
for a game that has God knows how many entries, especially if you include like spin-off games and RTS spin-offs and and books and and you know web series and so on and so forth. The opening cutscenes kind of just feel like let's find a way to put have a gun in Master Chief's hand and have him running around as quickly as we can. Yeah. And kind of everything else doesn't really need new villain, new place to fight, and Master Chief. Like let's and let's go, and we'll figure out the rest as we go. Um, right. Yes. No. That absolutely. was a bit weird. Yeah, I completely get what you mean. What, what, what else is? I, I don't want to like pressure you to jumping straight into what you don't like about it. So I'm sure you've got some nice things to say, but I am curious. I, so it's, it's a weird one for me. So for people who don't know, I've never played a, a Halo game. Like I've played a bit of Halos every, like every now and then I've, I've maybe managed 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. Like we, we, at some point. you probably got your hands on, on the last one on Halo five. Cause we, pl- we got that in the office back in the DATG days right. very early on when we still did let's plays. Yes, yes. So I would have I've spent like a, a, a tiny, a fraction of time of that. But so I've spent more time playing Halo this past week, and it's not much. It's probably like an hour and a half to two hours worth um, than I've ever played in my life before. And I had also previously played uh, some of the multiplayer beta, and the things that jumped out at me were so like the gunplay. I think is solid. I think is is it feels great. Uh, it looks very nice. Like what they've done, the way that the 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 game the models look which is what we were worried about when they initially showed it off obviously some of that stuff looked pretty nasty but i can kind of i kind of get why i think now is because they obviously trying to make a game which runs like they they've said at like 120 frames a second if you can if you've got the display they'll do it and they want incredibly fluid gameplay and gunplay and they want you to have fun with it i totally get all of that and and i think that's commendable that that's what they're aiming for the things that felt as a first time experience to me, like felt weird were like, it's quite a dated shooter in the sense of like the, the sheet, the rechargeable shield, uh, the way that your shield gets knocked. And then you sort of like take damage from people in so just felt a little bit dated to me. I don't know why maybe it's cause it, it doesn't, it, it mirrors some other games, which aren't, which are, you know, modern games, hmm. but there were just the way that the AI and that all seems to function. I couldn't st- I can't stand the enemies like for one, um, the little ones who you shoot and then they go, he's trying to shoot me. And then they run away. That's funny. Like there's something just uh, puts me off immediately about those enemies. Like they look like Muppets and they're just, uh, they're like um, Skeksis from like dark crystal. And I've never understood the alien thing in, in halo games. Like how, like the, the, I, do you know what it is? The, I have no connection that the aliens running around those spaceships are in any way the aliens who have built those spaceships. Like there's this, the space is ridiculously large in the, in the opening missions. Like you're in some, like, like you said, very Halo-esque areas before you get into the open world. And then there's just these vast chasms with yeah. things to like boxes in and a few LED screens. And then these weird ass aliens running around. I- um which it feels odd to me. Yeah. It feels really I, weird. I think the thing that, again, like I just had to double check, uh, fact check on the fly because it's something I vaguely remembered. But the thing that's easy to forget about the Covenant, which is like the, who you're, you fight against for most of the Halo games with some exceptions here and there, yeah. is that they aren't a race. They are an empire or a collective of like a, like 10 different alien races. Which is so why that's why the little guys look yeah. different to like the grunts, which look different to like the jackals, which look blah, 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 blah. Right. And there are other species that aren't even involved in the fighting side of things. Right. But like, again, again, like I said before, at this point, Halo lore is like ob- obnoxiously impenetrable 
Um, but they've kind of got answers for everything. Although, and like a lot of the stuff, like the Halo rings and stuff like that, weren't even built by them. There's all kinds of stuff for like Forerunner races and like. Yes. Yeah. So like, it, I've, it's I've, messy. I've only delved into a little bit of the story, and I'm hoping that the game. Um, gives me i'm i i get that maybe it won't be able to sort of like go into the background of like forerunners and the covenant and everything like because i know nothing about any of the law um i know like a little bit about some of the previous games just through like obviously work, doing lists and stuff and, and chatting about yeah it. um but it just feels weird. like it, some of the setups of those battles when you initially play the game for me feels weird like you run into an area there's those little muppets running around you shoot a couple of muppets then some dudes with shields appear and it's it always seems to be like there are three muppets then there's three dudes with little round shields and then there's like three gr- or two grunts pop out and it just i don't know but i'm i'm in the early I think game. yeah that's the thing i think we need to get into the open world yeah yeah cuz from what i from what i've read like those opening two missions are very intentionally like throwback Halo. Right. Okay. That would make sense. Um, but then some of the like the things that I found interesting that are po- not necessarily negatives or positives, just, you know, noticed them were how Doom like it felt, um, especially with the grappling hook um, in, the, in the movement and the way that you can sort of jump into the air, grapple into someone's face, shoot them right in the face as you get there. It gave me, uh, reminded me of the most recent Doom where you could like, th- you know, throw your chain thing, drag yourself to them with the shot, the secondary and the shotgun, and then like shoot them in the face. And it, it gave me sort of Doom-esque vibes. Also the way you can see those plasma shots coming at you and you can dodge them like bullet hell-esque is something that mm. I'm not that used to in um, uh, like a first-person shooter like this. And so some cool elements that I'm like, okay, okay I want to see how this progresses and especially when it gets into the more open world and how they develop that. Um, and, and most of my n- negatives, to be honest, are just like nitpicks and they're not bad things about the game. I'm enjoying my, my time of the game so far. Like I think the gunplay is solid. The way that the game feels is solid. Like you said, throwing those crates around is a lot of fun. The fact that the game just has like armories everywhere, like grenades just given to you on like constantly. And every room I go into, I'm like grenade, 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 grenade. And then you see people yeah. just exploding everywhere. And like you said, you can, you can like uh, grapple with those uh, containers to you and just throw them into the middle of a group and nice no, it's, it's a it's a fun experience so far and I'm, I'm hoping it develops like along those lines i don't like master chief's voice the voice actor who does interesting okay that. Uh, i wonder if that's another thing where it's like nostalgia like makes it hit different it, it could maybe yeah because i know it's the same guy right who's, who does um who's, who's been doing master chief for the longest time it yeah. doesn't fit his like he's a seven foot tall behemoth of a dude and then he sounds like he sounds like a gruff uncle who's trying to do yeah. a hard man voice uh, you know i out. did whose review whose review was it who did comment on the fact that like his voice sounds like he's older and that hey and the master chief should have been presented as like a slightly older more vulnerable more weary individual rather than just like the same old chief I can't remember who it was, but someone's review mentioned like that they heard the voice that made them think like, actually there was an opportunity here to kind of like reframe master chief in a modern era as like someone who's been doing this for a long time. And as you know, maybe, maybe slightly older, maybe slightly out of touch or out of sorts. Do you know what I would have liked? And you just want to recast it. Yes. Please ignore me. Halo fans completely Mm. ignore me because I am new to Halo. I have no nostalgia for this game at all. This is purely an idiot who's not au fait with the world. But someone like a Ron Perlman at the age he is now, <laughs> I, think, oh my God. I think would have been quite good as like a big, would, gruff sounding, haggard kind of war weary guy. 
who sounds the size that he is. He sounds like a big dude. But I, yeah, I, I mean, wasn't quite into the... Um, I, I, I love Ron to bits and that's that's a fun shout. But at the same time, I'd love to be on the Halo subreddit the day they announced <laughs> that they're bringing a role Perman to replace the voice of Master <laughs> Chief. But, but yeah, like, I'm, uh, yeah. But like I said, I'm I'm ho- I'm gonna I'm gonna power through all the things I. So the reason I've never played a Halo before is because the things I don't like are like the enemy types, the AI types, th- that sense of just kind of weirdness, the disjointedness between the fun kind of AI types and then what you're doing. It almost feels like a cartoony version of a Soldier of Fortune kind of game, and I always found that a little odd. But I'm gonna stick with it and plow through. Okay. And hopefully, uh, and I yeah. think I'll get to a point where it doesn't quite feel like that. I'm glad you're trying it because, in my mind, knowing you now all these years and talking about games so much, there was a part of me that would um, that was at times tempted to characterise you, and I'd admit somewhat unfairly as someone that obviously had a PC through sort of like the uh, '90s and late '90s and even early noughties, and so that meant that you were, you know through the, the Dooms and Quakes and Unreal tournaments and stuff like that, that like you were there for all of that. Yeah. But as the tides were sort of starting to change in the noughties, that was where like maybe the PS2 and eventually the PS3 became a slightly bigger part of your life. And oh, Yeah, for sure, yeah. And so like there would have been a time where you were like, oh my God, I'm glad I'm not playing Halo because I've got Killzone and Killzone is dark and pretty and fucking real and Halo is bright and cartoony and colourful and for gimps. 100, like, 100%. Right, exactly. Like, I've, uh, and so there is a part of me that I, I, you know, I'm glad that you're, you know, touching a halo and sort of like, and and kind of like experiencing it. And it's curious to see whether that baggage, you know, gets shaken off over the course of the journey, or whether some of that stuff kind of lingers in the back of your mind. And you're like, actually, I'd rather have a new kill zone. It's it's funny because it's it's. We, I think we all do that to some degree, and we're all bad. We're all terrible for like getting into almost like they the it's almost like the console war thing of if you happen to be on a certain console at a certain time then you have to say oh no i prefer this because it was totally. on the console um but no you're absolutely right about like the killzone side of things i loved killzone i thought it was fantastic and i i, I was having a chat with someone earlier and, and i was saying about like one of my issues with a lot of games i know is that when i was playing certain games when i was a teenager um that definitely gave me a sense of what the games were I wanted to play. And I, cause I went from the super Nintendo to like PlayStation and like the early PlayStation games, like Crush Bandicoot and things. And then you started to get like Grand Theft Autos. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Things like Killzone um, and Prince of Persia, God of War, all these things. I think I kind of was like, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm playing grown up games. And so I always had a bit of a thing about like the Wii and some of the Xbox more get feeling games where they were a little bit more cartoony for, you know, and it just put me off playing them. And it was, yeah. at the time, it was ridiculous, but it was because I was a teenager did, and I was an idiot. Did, did, like, uh, did you still have that by the time the 360 rolled around and it was things like Gears of War and, and Mass Effect and Dead Rising? Did no, you still... Con- no, okay. not So I, lo- I loved I loved Dead Rising. Uh, Gears of War, I absolutely loved. I was always so like annoyed that I couldn't play that. It was like the one series that I would only, that I would consider buying an Xbox for. Um, yeah. Cause I played that. I, I played that the first one, I think it was at a mate's house. And the first time I did like the, the little shuttle run where you, and then you chainsawed a locust. I was like, yeah. this game's insanely. It's incredible. It, you know what? it was a proper Jonesy series. Well, I guess it still <laughs> is in some way. Actually, it's less of a Jonesy series now than it was 
Like there was so much testosterone being pumped into the at least those first two or three. Um, slightly less so now, but still a bit. Yeah, yeah. The, the idea of that. See, when you talk about Ron Perlman playing um, <laughs> Master Chief, like the what's the guy's name? John something. Um, he plays uh, the dog in Adventure Time and Bender in Futurama. Uh, oh, I can't remember I the voice actor. He does Marcus Phoenix, and that is exactly the sort of the Ron Perlman esque voice. That I think you you wish Master Chief had is what Marcus Phoenix has. And he's he's roadie running around with a do rag on, with a fucking chainsaw bayonet underneath his gun, chopping people's heads off. Like Gears of War was silly but fun. It's, it's so strange that you do, and you do, you typecast yourself in typecast, but you know what I mean. You 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 pigeonhole yourself in some sense by only playing certain types of games, and I'm terrible for it. Like I've been terrible for it my whole life, um, and a lot of it was like you say that PC era of playing things like Quake, Doom, um, Unreal Tournament, all those things, and so. That's what that's one of the reasons it feels dated to me in some sense. That, um, Halo is because it does feel like some of those games, um, right? Which is probably unfair characterization because it's not like the functionally it's quite different. Maybe it's the way that you can move around and the, the verticality. And Master Chief feels like one of those old school, um, like one man army characters, yeah. like the Doom Slayer, where he could just leap around. Like Doom more still feels dated to me as well. Like you can loop around and you are uh, like traversal is not an issue it's, it's not quite the same as games these days which use well-designed levels in order to hem you in and make you get a sense of well oh sorry i, I was gonna say just a sense of scale and like a and and sort of make you move through the world in a certain way whereas all those old mm. school games are more like no go mental just leap up in the air and rocket launch someone in the face and kind of yeah but no i was gonna say i wonder if it's a side effect of like a lot of games in the mid to late noughties, especially Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare in some respects, um, had a big impact on sort of what the blueprint would become for first-person shooters. And there aren't many series that stuck around from like prior to Call of Duty days and kept going through till modern day without at some point having like a reboot where they you know, substantially sort of like reconsider their values or or reboot of a much older game where again they're kind of taking those principles and making them relevant to the modern day, which I think like like Doom and Wolfenstein obviously did. And like you can make the argument that like Battlefield is from a similar era in terms of like yeah. the, being par- running parallel with Call of Duty. And that's why Battlefield still feels different in some ways. But Halo was just, just kind of like always been Halo. And the other series we've been talking about, like like fucking um uh Kill Zone and Resistance and you know FPS series from I'm trying to think of like FPS series on the PS2. I, all I can think about is James Bond games and Black. There's definitely way more than that. Um, Medal of Honor, like oh yes, a lot, yeah, one of, a lot of them just like died. Brothers in Arms. Um, I know I'm specifically oh, talking about like all of them and they were, yeah, like uh, what was it? Uh, do you know what's great now is if you go back. Is it, I think it's Allied Assault where the opening of that game is um, very similar to the opening of Saving Private Ryan. And at the time, you put, when I played it, and, every, and our mates played it, it was like, it is exactly like the movie. It looks just as good as the Classic, movie. Classic, yeah. And if you go back and you look now at how that game looks like, it does not look like the movie. But yeah, yeah it was cool. No, like, yeah I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm looking through the list now, and it's like, Time Splitters is another one. Right. Like, like a lot of these things went that were spawned at the same time as Halo went away. And if they 
stayed as true to their roots as Halo did, they would probably feel weird nowadays too. Yes, yes. Um, I, uh, I don't know if I should admit, admit this, just as we're talking about old school games, but I was I had occasion to look at some gameplay footage of an old school remaster series that we've talked about recently a few times, which is the uh, GTA trilogy. Um, hmm. And do you know what? I thought it looked pretty good. Yeah, like you, you're allowed to say that. I look, I was watching some games. I was like, ah, I, I kind of think it looks okay. Okay, but now I'm going to completely ruin that because I'm going to say it did. Then at one point, remind me of um, a game my kid plays, which is Ben Ten Power Trip, which is like a okay. really badly made open world game. Um, it's got that slightly too clean, like cartoony vibe. Over, overly saturated. Yeah, of, yeah. And then I was like, oh, maybe it doesn't look good. But there are definitely some scenes where I was like, okay, this is actually... This is oh, yeah, like, bad. there are definitely moments wherein the work they did to those games shines. I'm not going to pretend. Like, we all sat there and watched that first trailer, and, like, yeah, we all noticed the character model straight away, but there are also shots that I remember being pretty happy with. Um, yes. They just kind of botched the delivery, and that game's been patched since, all three of them, I should say. Um, but, ah, right. Uh, I don't know how... I, I think it did some work, Um and fixed a lot of like the more obvious things, but I think they've still got a little bit to do. Um, right. Do you know what else uh, might need a patch to, um, to 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 get things working as they as they Ooh, should? Go on. Um, a game that somehow actually has already been around for almost two years, Warzone. Um, it's going to be two years. Wow, that's a cool. it'll, be, it'll be two years in March, I think. So yeah, like just shy of. Just shy, like three months shy ish, four you, months shy. In some sense, it feels like it's only a year old. In some sense, it feels like it's always been here. So it's kind of a weird one, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I do. I do kind of know what you mean. Um, but uh, Warzone again. I, w- I not usually wouldn't talk about Warzone in this podcast because I think I did that for about ten weeks in a row when it <laughs> first came out. But they had for the first time ever their first actual new map um, ah. that dropped uh, at the time of recording. Officially dropped today. Although 24-hour early access for people who own Vanguard, it began yesterday, obviously, 24 hours. Um, and it's interesting, because, Jody, can I use you as a, like a little litmus test? Yeah. And like, if I hadn't brought this up, would you have any idea that Warzone, for the first time ever, had a brand new map? No. Right. I would have had no idea. I'm trying to think, no, I, have, I wouldn't have had any idea. I'd... Yeah, no, because brand new. I was going to say then, maybe the the old, you know, when it went back to the nineteen eighties, whatever the back yes. in time thing is not a new map, is it? Because they just tweak the existing. Technically, technically, no. Then on the flip side, if I can ask you, you don't have to know the specifics, but did in the last week you hear about the new chapter of Fortnite and the event that launched into it and the fact that the rock was revealed to be in it and so on and so forth? Like, did you hear about that stuff? I did yeah, the, the upside down, okay. the flipperoony. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you do Fortnite flip, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on, but like Warzone at one point was like doing really well. It was kind of like, it was not quite in the zeitgeist, but if it was like it hit a hundred million players, you know, and it felt like it was kind of like, you know, it was Apex, it was Fortnite and then there was Warzone. And and then something very strange happened where over the last few months, lots of people, lots of players, lots of content creators and, and even, you know, me and my group of friends who played it, everyone kind of slowly lost more and more interest. Right. And then the thing that should have rejuvenated it, and you know, was should have been should have been an opportunity to breathe new life into a, a free to play battle royale game that at its peak had a lot of players, um, 
just kind of hasn't really made a splash at all. Like I don't, I feel like people don't know this has happened. People aren't talking about it. Like for the first time in two years, a battle Royale game with a hundred million players has got a new map. Like I remember when Fortnite did it, when Apex did it, when even when PUBG did it, I remember new maps being like a talking point and Warzone for some reason just hasn't struck a chord. It is a strange one because I feel like when they did the the time reversal thing, you couldn't get away from it. Like totally. I was talking to uh, that because I get, and so I I think people might know by now, but I've got kind of like a group of people who I play Warzone with uh, and have been playing Warzone with for the last like 18 months or so. And when the time, um, you know, the going back in time to the Verdansk in the eighties thing happened uh, earlier this year. And in fact, uh, Loads of people, loads of lapsed players in our group came back. Everyone was excited to see it. We were doing all the events. We were watching the cutscenes. We were sharing tweets and updates, and yeah. everyone knew like what time the servers were going down and when they were going back up again. This one, no one in our group was that interested. I, I just don't know what's happened because fundamentally, the map is is different and it's cool and it's got some ideas for anyone that hasn't seen it. It's part of like a Pacific inspired updates, so and the map is called Caldera, Caldera, and it is a big. Pacific Island, so you know it's it's far more bright and colourful than Madansk ever was. There's a big volcano in the middle of it. Um, lots of interesting looking points of interest. Like I think they've made a cool looking map that I'm looking forward to exploring. They've done some like World War Two style twists. Like they've done, you know, mix up the vehicles. There are attack choppers now with miniguns on the side. Okay. There are like World World War Two style like planes uh, that you can fly across the map. Uh, they've tweaked um, some of the gameplay fundamentals, some of the things that bug people for a long time, like dead silence and stopping power and heartbeat sensors and stun grenades. Like a lot of the fundamentals of the way the game was played have been changed um, or, or, or nerfed or buffed in different cases. So again, as someone who likes Warzone and paid attention to a lot of this stuff, I kind of really hoped they were working towards, you know, making a splash with this thing and like getting content creators involved and content creators excited. And it just kind of feels like no one cares. Um, is it, is that because the marketing side of it just hasn't been there? Is it, do you think it's maybe that, or do you think it's that the, the audience maybe. isn't there? Because I'll, I'll be honest, like I saw a hell of a lot of people doing the hashtag Fortnite flipped thing. Mm. And like, I did as well. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to suggest they're all of the take. Like, I, I don't really know what was going on there, but whatever, again, whatever Epic did, to build up excitement and to get people to watch that event and to get people involved on social media, like it worked. And I saw the rocks fucking corny head every day for like the next three days after that event. I didn't watch the event, but I, but I, but you, you, you pick that stuff up. And like, I think absolute monsters when it comes to um, really pushing what they're doing in Fortnite. And Bro, yeah. who don't care about it. Like, even if you don't like that game and you don't want to play it and you say it's just for kids and stuff, like they are so smart when it comes to the, um, <laughs> not just the marketing side of it, but the the building things that people want to talk about. And you often see in like news companies reporting on what's going on in Fortnite, totally. which is ridiculous because you're never going to see a news company report on what's happening in uh, Warzone. Like that would be alien. It would be like, yeah. why are they talking about that outside of, you know, a specific um, uh, gaming blog or like a, a gaming reporter even. But it's, they, but they could. It feels like they absolutely could if they wanted to. They could do mm. stuff that was on that kind of scale. And, Maybe they, maybe they got there, or they tried to get there with the um, the end of like the the Verdansk thing when it, because it was like a nuke goes off right, and then it all goes back to like nineteen eighty. That's the, that's the thing. Like, but still, that's, like, that's just another in game thing. They're not they're not pushing any boundaries like Fortnite. No, 
And like I, I, being on Twitch the last 24, 48 hours, I don't think they've done any, I've, I haven't seen any sponsored streams. I haven't seen anyone being, and you know, I'm not, again, like I'm not suggesting they should have like, but that that's how part of how you market games nowadays is sure, yeah. like, you make sure people are watching it. You make sure people are talking about it. You make sure people are tweeting about it. And that's how we see some of the shit that we saw this week. And then, you know, natural and, you know, and natural excitement builds from there. Um, it's just strange. And the other thing I'll say is that while I think I, I, I give them credit for finally implementing a new map and like an actually, you know, top to bottom new different map with a lot of cool elements, um, the way it has been imp- uh, implemented and the state of the game at the moment, not great. A lot of technical problems, especially on um, PlayStation platforms at the moment, lots of uh, texture issues, texture streaming issues, lots of crashes, uh, crashes on a software level, sometimes uh, crashes on like a system software. And even like, like I've, I've had friends who have had their PS5 essentially brick up. Uh, they can't, the controller's not responding, can't turn it off, blah, 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 blah. Lots of things happening, which is regrettably also coincided with, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Activision, as if there weren't enough uh, bad headlines around the, or everything Activision Blizzard for the last, I was going to say like month, but it's been even longer. Um, there was a story that came out of Raven Software, who were one of the Call of Duty developers. They are the team that is now solely on Warzone and obviously come under the Activision banner. Uh, they were informed that a number of uh, people on their QA testers team had their contracts terminated. This was supposedly after... Uh, an, an especially long amount of time of being promised uh, promotions and pay rises that were initially scheduled to be put through in March of this year. So not only are they nine months late on promised promotions and pay rises, they have now made uh, portions of that team redundant um, and laid them off. This was apparently also, this had come after five straight weeks of overtime this happened. Um, and so there has been a, a staff walkout at Raven Software which has been supported by and even uh, joined in by uh, other people and other teams on Call of Duty and apparently even Overwatch. Um, I've kind of, uh, other teams have shown their support and, and joined in. So very strange, like, to have that, the those two elements floating around at the same time, a new Warzone map launching in a shoddy state and <laughs> Raven Software QA testers being laid off. Um, uh, so, like you're fucking bizarre. You talk about optics. Like you know, in this day and age, it's been a, it's been the word of uh, of business for like a few years. And you talk about the optics of something. Oh, you know, you might it might be okay to do, but how? But what about the optics? Activision Blizzard needs someone to tell them about optics because they just they can't, they just don't ever seem to do anything to help themselves out. Like they just do one bad thing after another, like just to make it worse for themselves. It seems at this point, it's mind boggling, absolutely mind boggling. And again, like you. <laughs> Obviously, there are. Oh, I'm not trying to be uh, delicate. Like most of the stuff we hear about this is from people who are inside Raven Software, who are obviously going to have the the best intentions of their coworkers and former coworkers in mind. But like, uh, there have been interviews with people who are still there, and and they were asked like, okay, have the layoffs been congruent in terms of like positions that might be less relevant now the map is out or contracts that were up or like and they were like no like literally some of the people they made redundant uh, are considered vital to our day-to-day like work like we cannot wrap our heads around why some of the people who have been laid off have been laid off like they are key members of the team so like 
But then you but again, that's that's them. one source on that. But, but then, yeah. do you know what? It's then then all it feels like is oh they've taken such a whack from the stock price because of all the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes with management and you know with running stuff and badly running stuff that they're trying to save money and they're trying to reduce outgoings in order for some financial reports or whatever. So they've axed a load of employees. And you're like, well, that just makes you seem even worse. I think their statement, weirdly enough, actually ended up saying the opposite. They put out a statement, and it was one of those very kind of like matter of fact statements because obviously, like multi billion dollar companies don't need to spend that much time justifying layoffs. That's how they became multi billion dollar companies. But the gist of it was like actually, in the long run, they are expanding and spending more on those parts of the business. But for whatever reason, like these specific people in this specific team were like, I don't know how it happens and who ran the numbers or why, but like it came to pass that that's, that's what happened. That's such a good not excuse. Look, right. The reason we had to we had to um, step on all those children and kick them all down into a well was because actually we're going to have a load more children and we needed the space, so we just had to. Like, that's a it, terrible it, excuse. Well, it happen, but it happens in football all the time. Like new owners come in with with billions of dollars and they're like. Yeah, but before we start expanding, we kind of need to get rid of all the shit players first, and then we can start spending way too oh, much money that's, bringing that's everyone terrible. in. Terrible. That's like a yeah. it's like a bloody ho- um, like a home pr- building company just going. We're going to mow down all these homes with all these people in just because we need to build some more homes because people need homes. You're like, don't do that, then you horrible bastard. But yeah, wow, brutal. Well, um, hopefully. I don't know. Whatever they want to come out of it, the walkouts work or they don't, and then people get money out. Yeah, of them, they get uh, yeah. I hope for the best for the um, the folks at Raven Software because again, no matter what the story, um, you, you never like to hear about anyone losing their jobs just before Christmas. Good not man. least of all after oh, geez, what I'm sure was. Think about yeah. It's just yeah, no, that's brutal. So obviously, um, um, hopefully, uh, wish them all the best and that as many of them as possible land on their feet and and get other positions within the industry asap. And then I guess with regards to the map, you know, of course, I've got my hands tied. I'm going to be playing it over the course of the next few weeks. Um, so maybe I'll come back in January and do a bit of a post-mortem on it. But for now, it exists. I'm just not sure anyone cares. Um, well, okay, from something old to something new, because I'm going to briefly touch on something I'm completely missed out on. Uh, I think you might have got those the wrong way around. Warzone, the map, it's new. No, you, yes, but you, you said from something old to something new. Oh, I think sorry. we're going the other way around. From, thank you. From something new to something old, uh, because I completely missed out on uh, Tiger King when it came out. Right. Um, and I saw an interview with Carol Baskin on the TV mm. like two weeks ago. And I can't remember what the interview was about, but I, I did genuinely had no idea what that series was about. I thought she was murdered. And that someone fed her, someone yeah, right. fed her to a tiger, and so I was okay. like, "What? I thought she was dead." And then I, you know, you see a whole bunch of uh, memes and stuff about the Tiger King and about Carol Baskin. And that so I was like, Do "You know what? Let me hop into it and watch it." So my wife and I checked out the first series of Tiger King, and Jesus Christ, that is such a good show! Like, mm. it's got everything I want from a documentary series. It's the way they have put together the series to weave a narrative in each different episode, which I love to completely hide things from you um, early on that they then reveal later on that they knew the whole time they were making the, the yes. show, obviously, but just to, to time those beats really well to just hit you with, with great. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to sing its praises and just say, if anyone out there hasn't seen Tiger King, you think you might be interested, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, insane. Like the people in it are insane, but 
Yeah, man. I, I, Stranger I than fiction, right? Like, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Stranger than fiction. Yeah. It's such a, I try to think which was the most sort of like, whoa, moment. Like, it's, uh, you're never going to get to the, to the Durst, Robert Durst level. Like, oh, right. Okay. I'm not even going to spoil that in case people haven't seen it because that is one of my yeah, time yeah. favorite things. And that's, that's, that's a series that, again, without spoiling, it's the Jinx, right? It's called. It's the Jinx. Yeah. Um, and without spoiling it, like, that's a, that's a, roller coaster sort of like true crimeish documentary a la uh, Tiger King that literally pays off up until the last words of the season. So And it is in yeah, and it is insane. Tiger King, they managed to kind of do mini versions of that, uh mini, mini little like, oh my goodness, moments um quite regularly. And everyone apart from me probably knew now, because like I said, I was kind of confused with what the series was supposed to be about. But the point at which they start talking about Carol Baskin and whether she fed someone to a tiger. I was like, oh, damn. I didn't, you know, I, I kind of knew it was coming because I, you know, I'd heard about a bit more of it by that point, but I wasn't quite expecting it in that way. And the way that everyone just goes into like, oh, yeah, because she, she fed that dude to a tiger. And it's like, what? But great, great show, great show. I'm going to stop talking yeah. about it now because everyone's probably bored the, of it because it's so. The, they, they, the, that season two dropped not long ago, right? Yeah, don't think I heard it was ago, a bit yeah. of a, not, I'm not going to call it a cash grab, but like, I heard there maybe wasn't as much um, much to cover as there was in season one. It was just kind of like, let's find a reason, if we can, to go back to this story. But otherwise, like there might not be as much meat on the bone as we had yeah. first time around. It's the second album problem, isn't it? Is that mm. The reason the second album is always so bad, or the second series, whatever, is because you put so much artistic effort and, and blood and sweat and tears and that into your first album or the first season or whatever it is, the first movie, right? Um, and it might be years or decades of your life in creating this masterpiece. And then people see it, they're blown away. And then they go, well, now we want more. And then when you yeah. try and create the more, you're in a completely different place. It, you've probably got less time, less effort. You've probably like kind of, you've done your masterpiece. You really need to follow it up. But then like you say, is it a cash grab? Do they want to get a bit more money out of it? And Did Netflix want another like season? Yeah. On that exact same note, I was actually reminded of you this was a couple of nights ago. I was playing FIFA with some people we used to work with, and one of them um, started talking about how uh, disappointed he was that Altered Carbon Season 2 was not good. Yes, that was it was not good. Altered Carbon Season 2 was not good. And that's not Anthony Mackie's fault. I like Anthony Mackie, but... This no. Is, but then no. you realise what the the issue with Altered Carbon was, that Season 1 was based on the book, and Season right. 2 wasn't. And of course, if you go from a... a a, a law, like a, you know, a book with a rich law and, a, and someone who's crafted a, a world through their imagination, and then you go, now we're going to do season two. I'll just make it up. Like, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, doesn't literally work. Game of Thrones, right? I never watched right. that show, but from what I gathered, that went off the track as soon as they didn't have George R. R. Martin's you know, material to work from. Yeah, they tried to get around that by saying that he was working with them on the writing of every season, and even the ones toward, at the end, they was like, "Oh no, they've they've been through everything." But yeah, no, you're you're right. That was one of the big criticisms yeah. of um, Peace. Another kind of like we talk about those very Netflixy, flashy true crime documentaries, like can't believe like one twist after another. Things I think it's only three episodes, but if to one to watch after Tiger King, if you hadn't seen it already. That was also another kind of like virally thing. Did you ever watch Don't Fuck With Cats? I did. No, I did. I oh, okay. Did. I okay. That. Yeah, I thought that was really good. That, that was, was another one of those where like, you, you reminded me of it when you talked about how Tiger King does that thing of like, 
obviously they have all the information available from the word go. It's about how they pace out that information and tease out that information to leave them with enough beats and enough moments um, yes. you know, to end each episode and to end each scene. And just as the, you know, as each, you know, subsequent penny drops and we're the viewer just like, what the fuck? It's, that's what's great about those shows. No, it, the, the problem is, of course, that that's the best thing about those shows. It's also the worst thing about those shows because you know that in order to keep the viewer watching, to keep those beats coming, you have to show certain things at certain points and you also have to hide certain things, which is yeah. why series like um, uh, Making a Murderer, if you watch the series, you'll have one very strong idea of what happened. Um, yes. Uh, but then if you actually read up and you listen to podcasts about it and you like read books about it, you start to think, oh, maybe maybe that's not what happened. Like there's a, there's a whole other way of looking at this and there's more evidence that was never presented because it wouldn't have worked with their uh, the beats of the show and the, the way the documentary worked. So yeah, it's, yeah, it can be the best and the worst thing. I'm trying to think what was their... Uh, wasn't it... Um, Oh, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Did a great um, take on that, where they had a whole show, a true crime show, where Dennis was supposed to have killed his wife, who was looks, who was trying to become a cat, and um, the the whole show is like, did Dennis kill her? And that it's all set up like, oh my god, Dennis actually did kill her. And then at the end of the show, it's like, well, yeah, but obviously that didn't happen because there were twenty, there were two hundred and fifty people that watched her jump off the roof on her own. And then, like, yeah, but that doesn't really fit the story, and we didn't really kind of ruined it, so we didn't want to put that right. in. And you're like, yeah, ah, that's what they do in those talkie totally. stories. They leave out the really obvious shit that's going to ruin the story. I have uh, that happens with like uh, lots of sports documentaries and sports docu series. Obviously, have to you know uh, dramatize or kind of like manufacture certain drama points. And I always remember having that issue with my dad, where one of my favorite. Uh, sports or sport adjacent documentaries is um, a documentary called Senna about the F1 driver right. Senna. And I loved it. And at the time, like I didn't watch F1 that much, but I loved that film. And my dad is a very passionate F1 guy. So I kind of went to him thinking like, Oh, he's going to really like that. And, he, and he's like, yeah, I didn't care for it. And he's like, and that's like, Oh, right. He was someone who lived alongside those stories right. and was like thoroughly engaged with each one. And probably, you know, each rivalry or each touching point he took aside and he had an opinion on that and sort of like so when you see things kind of reframed and it's happened now to me ironically still with f1 where netflix do their drive to survive series and now i am an active f1 watcher week in week out and you kind of get to a thing where like oh they're trying to make these people look like rivals when they were really good mates or they used a radio message from this race and superimposed it onto that race to make something sound more dramatic than it was. Right. Like you start to actually notice the way they're actually cheating things. And you're like, Oh, oh wow. I don't know how I feel about that. I, so, something that we all might know a bit about that they're supposed to be doing. I just, just looking up to see if they are still doing it. I don't, I know that there was supposed to be a documentary about Gamergate. Oh right, weird. But I don't know if it's if it was ever going to come out. I know that they were um, that it was supposed to be being made, and I've I always thought that would be really interesting to watch because to see if. But well, it, it was like so much would vary, right? Depending on the perspective, right. yeah, and, and, the and agenda for one of a better way. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly, and see how stuff would come out. Ah, um, oh, documentaries, man. 
Bloody maybe idiot. maybe you should make the uh, Gamergate documentary, Jonesy. Maybe that's your calling. No one would like it if I made it because it would be too fence city. Everyone would go, oh, this guy's too in the middle. Like, he doesn't go one or the other. Like, <laughs> sure. angry I've just noticed something. Did you know that when you Google Gamergate, the, the actual Wikipedia for Gamergate is Gamergate brackets harassment campaign. Like, it's written oh, in the it? title of the Wikipedia page, yeah. Gamergate brackets harassment campaign. It's not just Game Gate. <laughs> now Jonesy really wants to make a documentary. Is that, but I'm wondering if that's like one specific page and there's another one for like. Game well, it's, beca- it's because oh, uh, a Game Gate. online that, harassment campaign initially conducted through the use of. I, I, to be, in Wikipedia's, to, Wikipedia's defense, excuse me, um, I believe they've done that because a Game Gate is a type of worker ant that can store sperm and reproduce sexually. <laughs> and so I guess they had to differentiate. The harassment campaign from the ant. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Weird. But yeah, Gamergate brackets harassment campaign targeting women in the video game industry. There you go. Interesting. That is in, that is interesting. That I, is shouldn't interesting. Start, I shouldn't no, have stoked that flame. I'm that's sorry. Not, I'm, I'm, I apologize to our audience. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry. I shouldn't have even said the words. It should be like a bat. Like, what's the, what's the guy's name out of Harry Potter that you can't say? That should be something that gamers aren't allowed oh. to say. Uh, what's... What, Voldemort. Hey, Voldemort. Voldemort. He, he, sh- he, sh- he who shall not be named. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. I wish I. Do you know what? A weird, like a weird phenomenon. I don't know if you got this. Did you see there was a trailer that dropped this week for like the Harry Potter anniversary reunion? No. no. So do you remember the thing they did for Friends on HBO Max? Yes. HBO Max are doing that again this Christmas. I think on Christmas Day it's launching for Harry Potter. And I was like, damn, that's one where because of how old I am and when I grew up, I was just on the cusp to get into the early stages of Harry Potter right. and watch those first two or three movies in the cinema and read those books. And I fell off after the prisoner of Azkaban number three. And I did watch that trailer and just think, man, I wish either. I wish I had nostalgia about this. Like I wish I cared about this more, or I wish they would do something like this for something I care about. Cause I didn't care about friends right. either. Cause again, I was between the two Harry Potter and friends in a way. I I liked friend I I was I liked friends I watched all of it like I've seen all of it like eighteen times like everyone has because they keep bloody shoving it down your face in every different <coughs> service that they have they do um, but I I found watching the reunion very strange because that and people are going to say yeah that's what happens but there's a weird thing with TV that because they try and pretend people are younger than they are for the longest time. And because there's obviously a delay in things like the dates, movies come out and series come out, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like there's suddenly a time when they reveal an actor or an actress to the world and they are like a hundred years older than they than the last time you saw them. And you go, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and I had that with like Chandler in that reunion where suddenly he looked like a 100 year old man. And I was kind of like, <laughs> oh God. Oh dear, poor Matthew, Matthew Perry. Perry. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that was, that's okay. I was like, Friends is a lot older than I thought it was. Because in my head, it was like, oh, maybe they'll do a Friends film or they'll do something, which would be quite fun if they redid it. Um, to, well, talking about like Sex and the City's coming back, isn't it? There's a new series of Sex and oh, the is City it? with the same wow. actresses and they, they look very different. Again, well. that's... A- <laughs> Harry Potter, I think they're, they're, they're hitting the, the right time. I think that's, that's a good... You think that the, the actors are going to be a good age for... Uh- because they're going to be mid thirties, or no, not even that. They're going to be like maybe late twenties. So, so I find I don't. I, I'm trying to think. Are they, uh, are they? I think they're all a little bit older than me. I'm 28. For anyone that is wondering, yeah, Radcliffe is 32. 
Right. Corinne is 33. And where was I? Um, whereas Emma Watson is 31, the youngest of the three, but they are all now in their thirties. Yeah. Do you want a fun little story about Grint? Rupert Grint, you go on. Yeah. Well, I don't know what his real name is. Uh, Rupert Grint, that is his real name. Oh. Ron Weasley's the oh, character Ron name. The, oh, I was thinking Rupert Grint's the character. No. Uh, so I worked in a cine world. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I was I, I know I know the one. Yeah, you do. I wasn't actually there at this time, but obviously I worked because I worked there. A lot of other people who were there at this time. The one of the Harry Potter films had just come out. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and it was opening night, and it was absolutely rammed, uh, and like queues, like massive queues and stuff for people waiting to get in to see it. Um, and it just so happened that Rupert Grint is relatively local to that cine world, and he'd set out on that particular night to come and see a film at that cine world. What a different film! A different film. Oh, that's brave. Came into the cinema and was mobbed by fans who were like, oh my God, it's Rupert Grint. It's, and it's on opening night for Harry Potter. He then complained to the management because he was like, this is not this is unacceptable. Like I've been mobbed by um, all these people. And they were like, you came to the cinema on opening night of a Harry Potter film and you're one of the stars. That's the craziest shit I've ever heard. If I was in one of those films... And I've been much, I was starred in one of those films. I wouldn't leave my house for the first month. <laughs> right. Each of those ones started a cinema run. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. I'm. Ju- I'm. I'm going to say I'm seventy five percent certain that that actually happened, and the per- the people who told me weren't just lying because I'm. I'm sure they wouldn't. <laughs> that's sure. Exactly, that's how they told me. So I'm going to. That's one of those stories where like I find it much more fun. Like life is more fun just to take you at face value, believe every word you say, and not look for any evidence to the contrary. I had, I had one. I have a Harry Potter story like that though. Not like okay. That. Not like that. Not quite as good as that. Which I but I always thought was hilarious. I was walking past platform nine and three quarters, which is where they have a little area in Kings Cross Station because I used to get the train from there every day. Um, yes, and they have like a cut in half shopping trolley, which is like or, or bag trolley, which is embedded in the wall. So people go up, they hold onto it, and they do a little pose, and then people take pictures. And it's like platform nine and three quarters. I was walking to my platform, so I was coming up to that area as there's about I don't know, say fifty meters between me and the massive queue of people. Just happened to be really busy on this day. Massive queue of people wait queuing up to take their pictures. Michael Gambon, who is who plays um, Gandalf uh, since the death of the first Gandalf, who the actor who played the first Gandalf, can't remember who it was. Um, he walked right in front of me, and he walked like between me and all the people, and I saw him walk past, and none of them spot him. And I had a really sort of surreal session, like moment where I was going to, I thought like how funny and out of order it would have been if I just went, holy shit, it's Dumbledore. And everyone would have What gone, are the chances Whoa. of that? But, but then it's, it must be, I suppose it's it's London, it's, it's the King's Cross, it's incredibly busy and it just so happened that I was there when he was there. But to, yeah, it was the perfect timing of walking past and then seeing all those people and being like, if only they knew. I should have said to him, Gambon. Let me take a selfie with you, otherwise I'm telling them all you're here. <laughs> yeah. Just like, taking a selfie with all the people queuing up for Platform 9 and 3 quarters in the background, completely oblivious. That would have been great, wouldn't it? And then tag them after the fact, like somehow. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. that would have been quite funny. Um, right. We have procrastinated cool. around um, talking about Harry Potter and other stuff for too long, so we need to move yes, on. I'm More sorry. gaming news. It's No, it's my fault. I've gone completely... Um, rogue with my stories that are probably untrue it, the gamble <laughs> is definitely true but the Rupert group one might be biased um, alleged sorry I don't have to say that allegedly allegedly, allegedly. there you go you covered a, yourself off he was a bit of a dick one day 
love how you can say whatever you want as long as you say allegedly first. Um, but something that isn't alleged is that um, Ubisoft has released, uh, no, not really, we knew about it and it hasn't been released completely, but they've beta released um, Ubisoft Quartz, which is their sort of platform for them to sell um, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, because they want to get in the game, the crypto game. Um, they want to sell some stuff and they want to make some money from gamers and they thought this would be the way to do this. We already knew about it, like they'd already talked about it. Um, I think we even covered it on a news story a couple of weeks ago, uh, but it's actually happened. I tried to access it actually because Ubisoft Quartz is a website that you can you can go to. Uh, it's not available in the UK though, so I couldn't get onto it to yeah. actually see what the website and looks like. I think the YouTube version, the unlisted link that was going around um, of the video that kind of announced and explained Ubisoft Quartz uh, has been delisted by Ubisoft, is my understanding. I don't know whether they've made it private or. Well, you can still uh, you can still see it some places. Definitely, if you just okay, want to yeah. see the video, um, you can you yeah just just Google like Ubisoft Quartz and you can check it out. It's like um a minute and a half long. It's not very long, and it gives you an idea about what um what they're doing with NFTs. Um, so just to like give you a rundown, if you haven't seen the video, effectively what they're doing is they are creating uh, skins, cosmetics for things like um, weapons, vehicles, um, uh, headgear clothes all, all sorts of different stuff and first this is going to um these skins are going to be available in ghost uh, recon thank you ghost recon um, i think it's ghost recon breakpoint specifically uh, yes no you're right it's breakpoint uh, and they're calling them digits so you will be able to buy with real money well or with crypto i guess um so you can put real money into a crypto wallet and then buy these through that process i guess um you can buy these skins and things but rather than a normal skin in a game, um, they will have um, what? The, I, I've lost the words. They will have numbers on them, serial numbers. That's the word. They'll have a serial number, so they are unique items because there is only one version of, let's say, it's a black balaclava with zero 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 one on the head. There is only one version that has zero zero one on the head. There'll obviously then be two, three, four, uh, however many they want to produce. They're going to be produced in limited um, editions, limited quantities. So they will have real world value, not just in game value. Uh, the idea being that you can buy, um, sell, and I guess trade these digits with other players and with people outside of the game if you, if you wanted to, as we've talked about before. Um, but it is, uh, despite YouTube removing dislikes one of the things i found quite funny about this jamie was that um, people managed to kind of figure out how many dislikes and the ratio that people yeah. hated this video which was quite funny i, I don't know how the, you find that information out but yeah it did, apparently it topped twenty two thousand dislikes which was a 95 percent dislike ratio at the time do you what did you what was your take when you saw um, the announcement <sighs> well i'm kind of like i find it difficult to talk about nfts because Whilst cryptocurrency feels like it's been around for long enough and everyone's been talking about, you know, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum and sort of like, generally speaking, how crypto works and the concept of crypto, I've kind of wrapped my head around. But there are things still specifically like adjacent to the blockchain, for example, that no matter how many times I have them broken down or explained to me, there's still an element that I, for some reason, struggle to grasp. And NFTs are an extension of that. I do get them. I've had them explained to me a number of times. I've read a number of different articles and, and looked at a number of different resources on it. It's just, it's not that I don't get it. It's like, I get it, but I don't care and I don't want to get it more than I 
currently do. So when I watch something like this, if you want to talk about Ubisoft courts specifically, I watch it and I'm like, this in a very, like Ubisoft have been famous, even in gaming terms, for being the first people to try stuff. Like the running joke is that if you release a console, like a big console at least, like publishers might dilly-dally over whether or not they want to support it, Ubisoft will be there. You know, you look at the Wii U, which was broadly speaking an unsuccessful console. A lot of people stopped developing games for it very quickly. Major franchises and series got left off. Ubisoft were like, fuck it. Rayman, Raving Rabbits, whatever. You got it, day one. Like, Eve loves that shit. He's there. They try stuff. Um, that we see it with streaming services, whether it's um, Google Stadia or Amazon Luma and stuff like that. Ubisoft are always there. So I'm not surprised that they're doing something like this. Um, but there is an element of it that I'm just like, I don't really see the point. I'm not interested in it as a consumer. I'm not interested in it as a, in a, in, in a, as a collector of digital items. I don't gen- see any real money-making possibilities out of it for anyone beyond Ubisoft themselves, which is, I think, what fundamentally drives a lot of the reasons that people like to explore territories like NFTs. Someone has got, is out to make money, um, and it's usually not us um, on, on this end of the bargain. Um and so I kind of like I come around thinking like like why fucking bother? Like and, and it also just shows we were talking earlier about Activision like and, and the, the optics of things. I'm not suggesting this is in the same ballpark as Activision, but again, there are optics and like I don't know if I exist in an echo chamber on Twitter, probably due to a certain extent, but I don't get any positive messaging or propaganda around NFTs in my particular social media sphere. Every time like something like this happens the company doing it becomes the laughing stock. Every time some person throws a hissy fit because they're determined that their ape with a cigarette in its mouth will be worth millions of dollars one day, everyone around them laughs at them. Everyone says it's a scam. Everyone unanimously agrees that like it's just money laundering and that we and like it's worthless. And so that's all I ever see. And when that's all I ever see, and I'm you know, and as someone who, as I said before, you combine that with the fact that I don't fully grasp how or why these things exist what I'm left with is just an overall feeling of like, this seems pointless and stupid and a bit redundant. And I don't really want it to exist. Like it doesn't need to not offended by it per se. I don't care. I'm not going to campaign against it, but it does seem kind of dumb. It's, it's definitely, it definitely feels a bit like the thing that's the, the new cool thing that people are talking about. And it's like your, your uncle just wants to get in on it or you're like your granddad's like, Oh, buy me some of them. Cause everyone else is liking them. And you're like, this is this is pointless. Like we, yeah. you're not gonna, you're not really gonna get into the the NFT and the the crypto market. Like, what is the point in this? But I think I, I I think you're right. I think it is all because they want to get in on the ground floor and and everything is. They think if it does go one direction, which is up, then they want to be there before it goes up. And so I guess it comes down to hedging. Like you know, they if they're part of it on the rise, then they they can say, hey, we were one of the first. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't go anywhere kind of doesn't matter like for them it's it's kind of irrelevant it'll just be a forgotten thing and they'll just people will forget about it and move on um yeah I, it, there are some potential benefits i can see to it if it, depending on implementation so one of the things i did wonder when i was watching this video and they were talking about you know get this get these skins or or get this whatever and you get this like um limited versions limited editions is let's say they drop an assassin's creed game right Okay, wait, hang on a second. I'm having a difficult time picturing this. So we're living in a world where an Assassin's Creed game comes out, yeah? We are. Okay, okay. I'm getting there. Continue. Let's say there are multiple versions of the Assassin's Creed game that you can pre-order. 
<laughs> oh, like, you know, at different price points, and they might have, you know, different amounts of additional content, you know, depending on which tier you, you pay for. Exactly. Okay. Now, let's say that instead of getting uh, in-game only, um, uh, like an outfit or a type of blade or whatever, you actually get, if you buy a certain version, you get one of um 1000 issue like issuances of a certain dagger or a certain blade and there are only a thousand versions of that and you get a serialized version so when you when it actually arrives on your doorstep like you know day 1 digitally you open that game and you have a dagger which has 0013 on it and you know you've got the 13th edition in the 1000 uh limited line of daggers of that specific type you play the game, you love it, you you have a whale of a time playing Assassin's Creed. You then park it because you're like, do you know what, I've done it, I platinumed it, I'm over it, and you move on. Mm-hmm. You might have sunk 70, 80, 200, 250 quid, whatever it is for the edition you bought. If you then found out that that game had taken off massively, that particular dagger had become like sought after, and now people were trading it and they were selling it, and you could actually get like a tenner back for it, 20 quid back for that specific dagger... I quite like the idea that you can turn around and resell yeah. that and get some of your money yeah. back. But, but, but this is where like, we get into the territory that Chris always brings up, which is that when you start talking about that, you just remind me of like CSGO and where people right. open chests in CSGO and they get some like crazy rare skin and they look on the Steam marketplace and it's like, oh, this skin is worth $13,000 because that's how rare it is. Like, but I don't understand why like NFTs and the blockchain and minting and crypto have to come into it. Like, we're just all we're talking about is art is is, is scarce digital items. Well, in this instance, it's because I'm. Um, I think it's it's on the blockchain so that you can track ownership and you know, and there's a limited amount and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and they can't. Um, they can't issue any more than exist because they're. But but, but then but then also the, then you get into the thing of like okay well then why Assassin's Creed. Like, oh, yeah. like, like, uh, which I know is an example, but like, again, that's you. That's a fair example because it's Ubisoft's biggest franchise, or even Ghost Recon. Like, why Ghost Recon Breakpoint? Yes, there is, you know, co-op and there is a PvP element, and it is sort of like a live game in a loose sense. But it's not like what, like World of Warcraft. It's not going to be around for the next twenty years. Like, no one cares that I've got a one of one hundred helmet. Like, it's going to be worth four p. Like, like, why bother? Like, why implement this stuff? Uh, what, like, why have more hooks in the game for them to sell us shit, for them to make more money out of us than we're going to make out of it? And, like, because, like, it's not, a, it's not a system where everyone gets rich. Those systems don't exist. No, like, no. Can't be, you can't have a system like this where everyone benefits. Like, someone has to be benefiting, ultimately, for someone, else, someone else's loss at the end of the day. Someone has to be saddled with a thing they paid too much for. Uh, one way or another that's where all of this leads well, so my, um, my thing is if you're already paying so basically like if you've got people that are already going to pay 100 quid 90 quid whatever it is for an edition of a game and this just happens to be instead of doing it through just digital things they do it through this then you might find occasionally you can re- recoup a tenner and i'm like I don't okay, know. that I, okay but Actually, at the same time, do you really want to be running around in Assassin's Creed with some barcodes all over you because they've got these? Like, uh, no. It's like, that's just going to make you look crap, isn't it? You're not going to like, either. I, I, and like, I'll be like I said before, I'm not the NFT guy, but I've like, I, I read through a Twitter Twitter thread yesterday and I've refound it again now. And I don't know how many tweets it is long. It's about 25 tweets in a row all from one person breaking down 
like I guess in their opinion or based on their history and their research into NFTs, why NFTs in, not just in general are bad, but also NFTs within gaming um, are bad. And I, I read it and I was like, again, based on you know the parameters within which I understand the, the NFTs and the blockchain, I was like, okay, yeah, like I'm not interested. I don't, think a, I don't think it's a good thing. It might be a, it might be a non thing, which means that some people go, eh, I made a fiver, but I don't think it's going to be a good thing where you're going to get people going. You, you um, obviously have some people going. I made a billion dollars off of uh, Ubisoft games. Can I, but can I read some some of the quotes from this thing? Yeah, go for it. Um, logically, it never makes any sense for any game to use them, as the only way for any game to not totally fuck themselves over this is to allow zero interruptibility into inter interoperability again that's not, not that's another example of, i don't know what that means <laughs> at which point at which point there is no point of being an nft and could just be a marketplace um focus on the fact that all commercial usages are either logically impossible or made worse by being an nft or better served by an api and remind folks that games have been granted people for stuff based on other games for 20 years and it didn't require any of this bullshit being able to trade outside the game is not valuable at all the game can always just block any item or anything you can buy for any reason everyone hated diablo 3 auction house because it fucking sucked and it was bad for the game and no one cared what tech it used that's and then that's yeah. interesting because, yeah, like you then say, it might it might have the opposite effect. It might make people then, absolutely hate it and be like, "This is absolutely." I was going to say he's then got a crazy diagram that, like, I, he's basically got like a flowchart of all these different boxes, and it's a graphic right. that explains why a network of interoperable games can never work without destroying itself. And it has a whole thing of like game client one and player one linking to game server one and like minting items on blockchain to blah 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 blah. And eventually it gets to the point where it's like the game server has no way of distinguishing between a validly granted item and a self-granted item if it trusts any other account minting items. Again, I'm reading this stuff, so I don't know what it means. Yeah, I don't think it's smart enough to understand what half of this shit's all about. Do you know what? I'm not going to be doing it, so it's fine. So um, if you want to buy some NFTs, there you (laughs) be. I'm not going to be doing it. I remember when, like... Because obviously I mentioned already Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff like that, and we, those things always come up. We talk about, oh, if only, if only. Like, imagine if you had a time machine kind of thing. And what the experiences with things like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum remind, like, taught me and what has been true since then. And I've learned the hard way a couple of times, and I won't go into too much detail on what I mean by that, but I have learned the hard way. I've lost money on things I shouldn't have lost money on, is that I don't have my ear close to the ground. I'm not on the cutting edge or in the right um you know, the right spheres to be there when, you know, you know, the gates are first lowered. Yes. The, in the overwhelming majority of cases, by the time stuff like this makes its way to me, my personal individual money-making opportunities are slim to none. They've been reduced to <laughs> yeah. almost zero. Now, obviously the, some of these situations, maybe less so NFTs and video game NFTs, but if you want to go back to crypto, some of these situations may play out over the course of God knows how many years. And like, I, I, yes, I don't know what's going to happen to cryptocurrency or, or Bitcoin or Ethereum in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And like, maybe there is, you know, there are a lot of people out there still saying like, hey, I know Bitcoin seems like a stupid thing now because it's however many tens of thousand dollars per coin. But trust me, put your money in Bitcoin. It will, you'll still make money if you're uh, eventually but i still kind of hear that and i'm just like do you know what i'm just gonna make money by having a job and i think i'm gonna <laughs> leave it at that 
I think I think for ninety nine percent of people, you're absolutely right. Like by the time you hear about it, you end up being the one that gives that puts the money into the system. That means that the people who first joined it make a lot of money out of it. Yeah, I, I will say like the the experience I've had with cryptocurrency so far is the one time I took someone I trust's recommendation on a booming cryptocurrency, I within a month lost half my money. Now I fortunately don't have enough money to put life changing money into it to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, we're not talking about huge losses, but it was a reminder of like, okay, that's what happened to this amount of money. If I had put another zero behind that because I felt really confident, my life would have changed in a very negative way. And I'm not taking that risk again. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny you say, because I have a running sort of joke with myself, which is whenever I've got a friend who's into like, cryptos or uh, buying like gold or buying you know like precious metals or certain stocks and things and they're like oh it's definitely going to go one way like it's only going up blah 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 and then you see you chat to them about it and then you see them like six months later and you go oh how's that going did you ever make you millions out of it and they're like oh something just really silly happened and i lost all of it but you know it's only because something silly happened you're like well then why does it happen to everyone who ever tries to do these things it seems it seems like it only ever goes one way which is down like what what is i want to say it's uh diversified mutual funds they're not they're not exciting but they're the only way to go apparently so yeah um, properties seems like you know you can do all right out of property you can do right about property but you have a lot of money to start with, haven't you? you have a lot of money to start with and you probably might take a bit of patience if you get in at the wrong time yes something you don't need a lot of money though to get into jamie um will be playstation's new subscription service which is codenamed spartacus yeah they've seen the best deal in gaming game pass <laughs> And they've decided that they are going to come up with something to to compete, to battle against Game Pass. And they've decided this is going to be it. So they're going to combine PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now. They're going to sack off the PlayStation Now part, keep PlayStation Plus, um, and then they're going to hit us with three different tiers to try and lure us in to get us to join um, Codename Spartacus. So the three tiers Sony are looking to do with the PlayStation uh, Plus are going to be... Um, the first tier is basically PlayStation Plus is what you get at the moment. So you get the online play and you get uh, free monthly titles as you do at the moment. Um, there will then be a second tier which will offer you a large catalogue of games so that work in the same way that uh, Game Pass uh, works at the moment. So you'll have access to a whole bunch of games, which is what PlayStation Now currently does. gives you access to a whole lot of games. Um, the third tier would then add in some extended demos, uh, game streaming, so you wouldn't have to download games, I guess, like you do at the moment with... Um, uh, some of the games that are available. And it would also give you a library of classic PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, and PlayStation 3, and PSP games um, to top it all off. So, mm. yes. Is this, yeah. is this the, uh, the the thing to rival Game Pass, Jamie? Hmm. My gut reaction is no. Um, and there's one big reason for that. And it's a very forgivable reason for PlayStation. Well, because I think that the the reason Game Pass keeps coming up every now and then, even on this podcast and, you know, articles on the internet and where, wherever the case may be, a lot of people are simping for Game Pass. And it's because of what we've experienced a handful of times, even in just the last couple of months, whether it was with Age of Empires 4, with Forza Horizon 5, or as we did earlier with Halo Infinite, which is that Microsoft's commitment to put all of their first-party titles on Game Pass day one, uh, wrapped into the core, you know, Game Pass, uh, you know, price, 
you know, at no additional cost, basically, uh, is what gives Game Pass that huge boost, that huge bump, and yeah. puts it on the tip of people's tongues every couple of months. Because everyone has that moment where they're like, hang on a second, there's a new $60 Halo game coming out, and it's a part of Game Pass. No one has the moment, with all due respect, where it's like, oh my god, did you see a Playtale Innocence came to Game Pass this month? Like that happens every now and then, don't get me wrong. There have been some very good third-party gets for Game Pass, but it doesn't quite feel the same. It's slightly different. From what we understand about Spartacus, PlayStation will not be doing that with their first-party lineup, and I want to say up front, completely understandable. I think that PlayStation are well within their right uh, to continue to plan to sell games like God of War Ragnarok and Horizon Forbidden West and everything else going on out into the future at full price because... You know, that's their market, and those games are, and those two examples specifically, are sequels to games that sold over 10 million copies as full price titles. Um, I wouldn't have expected uh, PlayStation to try and go to bat with uh, a Game Pass on that kind of a, uh, on that kind of a front. Because um, obviously Game Pass also made that, we were talking about this before the podcast, um, Game Pass made that commitment at a different time for Xbox First Party. You know, Microsoft and the Xbox had to sweeten the deal for Game Pass as much as possible because when Game Pass launched, Microsoft and Xbox first-party content wasn't hitting the way it does now. Right. You were looking at games like um, the example we gave is Crackdown Three. You know, that's those are the kind of games you were looking at and saying, "Oh, okay, I guess I'll get this with Game Pass." You know, and it's progressed a lot in the couple of years since then. Um, but I don't expect Sony to offer up their things, which is why I don't think it's a like-for-like comparison with Game Pass, and which is why I don't think it's like a Game Pass killer. But as a but, as a way of consolidating PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus rather than a new service, makes a lot of sense. I'll give them that. I, I like that aspect of it. As someone who has PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus, I, I think that's a really good idea to put the two things together. It's effectively a glorified name change, isn't it? Because they're, yeah. they're, they've changed Now and Plus to a multi-tiered... Um, PlayStation Plus. So you can hop in at different levels. And realistically, you're probably going to find that most people just say, well, bugger it. As long as the price isn't too ridiculous, they'll all go in for the top tier and they'll say, I want access to everything PlayStation are going to throw at me um, so I can play whatever I want to play whenever I want to play it. But mm. I, I think unlike Game Pass, as you've just said, the thing that that's not going to happen, which does happen with Game Pass, is you're not going to like sit down one day and go, oh, should I get god of war ragnarok or should i get um playstation plus because then i'll just be able to play it and it will bring in a whole load of new people you're just going to have the people who are already on playstation plus who probably already have playstation now or have thought about that before who are gonna do it anyway so i think for them it's not going to shift the needle on how many people sign up really it's going to be it's going to be be, you know what it'll be an interesting thing for people to do like um uh, people who new to like the PlayStation 5 or something like that who say hey I just want to play games um, yeah I just want a library of games I don't have any back catalogue they've gone digital now like if you've got a digital version of the PlayStation 5 or you've got a, um, a digital console that you you know then you're going to say this is a great way for me to just play games without having to um, spend any money I know that I'm only going to spend how much mm-hmm. a month um, yeah. yeah outside of that I mean it's not it's they've got a cool opportunity, I'd say, with the classic games to kind of like, you know, to bump up the value. And I'm curious to see, again, especially when it comes to like PS2 and PSP games and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't think there's been any, any insinuation from anywhere on the internet that they are exploring back compatibility in the same way that Microsoft did. So I presume this is all based on sort of PlayStation Now's streaming technology yeah. worked it across the, serv- uh, the service. 
Um, that could be cool, though, again, if they get those libraries right. I'd also like to see PS5 games uh, come to the PlayStation Now-style catalog at some point. Obviously, it's great to have um, all the PS4 games on there, and they have some great titles. Like You can go on PlayStation Now at the moment, today, and download God of War and download Red Dead Redemption 2 and some, you know, some great games. Um, yeah, uh, Martin was just texting me the other day saying he's playing Mafia Definitive Edition because it's come to PlayStation now. Like, there's cool stuff, but again, by the time this service rolls out, PS5 could be 18 months old. Not suggesting PS4 games are bad. PS4 games are still very good in a lot of cases, but you know, I'd like to see them use this as an opportunity to, you know, again, not just consolidate their their sort of their brands, but also you know, maybe give it a little push. Let's see. It's interesting as well, because like we said, it's, it's not surprising they're not going to do the first party content, but I, I got to imagine there's a lot, there are, I don't know how many, but there's got to be a lot of people out there who, is, who are still waiting for a next gen console and who, when they look at the prospect of getting a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X uh, or S, who say, um, if I go and buy the PlayStation 5 realist, and I want to play first party games, realistically, I'm going to be dropping 70 quid every time a new game comes out, which is a lot of money to put down after you've already bought a console. If you do that like three or four times a year, you're looking at, you know, pretty big outlay. And then saying, well, if I get the Xbox and I I sign up for Game Pass, which is pretty affordable, then um, I'm going to be able to play every new first-party game that comes out without any added expenditure, which I do think think will shift some people to Xbox and not away from PlayStation necessarily, but I mean, it might do, but it would definitely make some decisions for people. I would Mm. Especially when you factor in like the Xbox, obviously uh, there's a digital version of the PlayStation five, but Xbox are the only uh, console manufacturer of the, of the two that uh, are providing a, like a pared down cheaper entry level version of that console in the series S, which, you know, I think they've done a, pretty good job of like positioning that as like hey this is a step up from the xbox one x for example this still feels like it's next gen like we're still hearing phrases like we mentioned earlier with the matrix thing playstation 5 and xbox series s and x like they've got it up to that mantle and yet it's cheaper and so when you're like okay cheaper console and a great service for games like there's been some chatter this christmas around the fact that the Series S appears to be the best-selling console of the Microsoft and PlayStation battle this Christmas. I'm not really into that too much because I think, honestly, the best-selling console would have been the console there were the most of. <laughs> yeah, but I completely if, agree. If there were PlayStation 5s on shelves, the PlayStation 5 would be the best-selling console of Christmas. Make no mistake about it. But it's still, it's positive PR, and I'm glad they're pumping those things out. And I think the more things we get, like Horizon, and that's Forza Horizon, I should say, and... um and Halo, like games that come out well-received, great um, audience reception, great critical reception, lots of buzz. And then people are like, hang on a second, I could buy the cheapest next-gen console on the market and and get all these games as part of like a Netflix-style subscription. It just makes Microsoft's decisions, that in some cases they made years ago, look all the more savvy. Because you're right, there will be people who are like, it's time for PlayStation, God of War's out, oh, the PlayStation is still really hard to find. It's still how it costs however much money. Um, and also God of War costs 70 pounds. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot yeah. for some people. That is absolutely is. I, was, I also got to think that um, the, like I know when I was a kid and my parents were buying me consoles, like 
they would not have bought me a console. It wasn't based on uh, because I said I wanted this one. It would have absolutely had an impact on how much they were, how much the games were, um, availability, etc., like that. So I think there'll be a lot of parents out there who are saying, well, hold on, I can get a deal where I can get a thing and I can just pay a monthly thing and then they yeah. get all the games. Oh, that sounds like a much better deal. So yeah. yeah. Although, as, as again, as the older brother of a 14-year-old kid who is still in the midst of trying to convince his parents he should get a PS5, <laughs> that it's, it's, it's fascinating trying to, like communicate things like game pass to people who can't wrap their head around it oh right game pass this is again this is going to sound like shilling game pass is one of those things that sometimes sounds so good to be true that people think they're misunderstanding you um (laughs) and i i I know that sounds like again it sounds like i'm being a big simp i promise i'm not on the take but like some people can't wrap their head around it um and like my dad's one of those people who is like he believes things like that don't happen and especially, right. and but then he's also got the problem of like, well, apparently all his mates at school are on PS5. And then he's also got the other very parent like thing is, I'm sorry, Jamie, I just spent the last seven years buying PS4 games. I'm not doing a different console thing. I need the one where I put the old disc in and it still works because they hate the idea of buying <laughs> games for their kids that don't work anymore. <laughs> Yes, because then it was the uh, the sunk money fallacy. It's that thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like it doesn't matter. He's never going to put that copy of FIFA 14 in a PlayStation 5. Like we don't need to worry about this too much, Dad. Yeah. Um, well, I think um, we can say that PlayStation kind of know what they're doing. They're not really taking much of a risk. That, um, you know, they're they're just framing it in a specific way. So they're definitely not just throwing the dice, Jamie, and taking a punt. It's <laughs> I like that one. Someone uh, who are being a bit um, shaken up and are throwing the dice is EA because um, following the launch of Battlefield 2042, uh, Oscar Gabrielson has left the company. Um, he was the uh, the GM and he's being replaced by um, Respawn's very own Vince Zampella, who we talk about quite a lot in this company because we do quite like Respawn. Um, they, you know, they've made a lot of good games. So he's going to be given uh, a bigger role Um He's going to be the boss of Battlefield, which I hope that's his actual job description. Like, boss I was job Battlefield, Battlefield I boss. So. Uh, but I mean, twenty forty two needs some help, don't they? Because it's not been a very good launch for them. It's been a bit iffy. Um, they've, they've, yeah, to have to have um, the number of down votes they've had uh, on Steam and the number of negative reactions they've had has got to right. be pretty dire um, for them to have a, a game that should have launched in glory. Yes. Which makes the kind of the, the shakeup very interesting because EA can be quite unpredictable. We've seen over the years, you know, they back some franchises at times where it doesn't always make sense. They can other franchises at times where it doesn't seem to make sense. You never really know what they're going to do next. It was clear, though, from the beginning that 2042 was a big push for them. You know, DICE had kind of been a bit here and there recently. I'm not going to suggest that Battlefield 5 and Battlefield 1, 1 weren't good or successful games. In the, in both cases, they were both. But between jumping around different time periods in Battlefield and the curious excursions to Battlefront that both for different reasons didn't always work in the way they would have liked them to at launch, um, 2042, it didn't feel like all or nothing, but it kind of felt, I felt, like there was a lot riding on this for EA and DICE. And I worried that if 2042 didn't work for some reason, then it would be drawing board time. Right. But this suggests that even though 2042 hasn't been a unanimous success, I believe it's sold pretty well. I'll say that much. But obviously, as we know, the player experience, the user experience hasn't been ideal. 
And I personally, as an anecdote, know a lot of people who would be Battlefield players who are holding off for now. Clearly, EA still see Battlefield's future as being not just important, but, I mean, if you're bringing Vince over, like Vince was obviously like a huge part of Infinity Ward back in the Modern Warfare era, you know, completely changed the face of FPS games uh, with his time at Infinity Ward. Respawn produced what in Titanfall 2, uh, one of the best multiplayer and single player packages that FPS games have seen for a long, long time. And they were exploring cool new territory of Jedi Fallen Order. So to take him away from that and to say, hey, you're the Battlefield guy now, that's a big, big move that could be really promising um, for it's Dyson. Kind of an inspired and inspired choice, though. Like, if, if you like, look at the things that Battlefield may be getting wrong and not doing quite right, you know, just get that player experience down, make sure everything is hitting the right notes. I mean, it kind of yeah. makes sense, right? To someone who's had so many successes, like recently as he's had um, with Respawn. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's got to be difficult for them to, to go from, because you're saying about how many people have done, how many people have bought it. But one of the issues I would, like, as we talked about earlier with not really hearing about the new map for Warzone is I have heard about Battlefield 2042 absolutely everywhere. The marketing push on this game has been, seems to have been pretty massive. So, mm. I mean, d- despite how many units they've sold, they've obviously put a shitload of money into marketing the crap out yeah. of it, um, which is going to hit their bottom line. And then if you don't have people in there, um, you know, new people buying it, keeping that ecosystem going, then I guess they're going to start to, just because the initial buy was good, I mean, they've got to start to struggle, right, with like a multiplayer game like this. Maybe. Although, again, I've heard lots of people talk about how I think the... Um the long-term goals for 2042 start to actually look quite positive. A lot of people talking about the portal mode that's in there at the moment, which of course brings in components from lots of previous games in the series and mix and match them all together with all kinds of customization of game modes and maps and experiences and so on and so forth. If that has legs, that could be a really powerful thing. And lots of people, like you talk about insiders, Tom Henderson, big Battlefield guy, has talked about the development of this game, how quickly it came together, how much actual core development time there was on it relative to how long the game in theory was around. Um, it screams of a game that will be where it need to be, where it needs to be sometime next year. And if they're smart about that, as we've seen with many other games uh, over the last decade or so, you can time a big push and a big sort of revival of a game alongside it getting to the point that it needs to be and really inject new life into it if you play your cards right. Um, which And I think having a big player base or a solidly sized player base, which it sounds like they've just about achieved um, at launch, helps. Um, yeah, for sure. So, you know. But they don't want this to... They they want to sort of um, roll this out into an extended Battlefield universe, right? They want to they yes. do the old... What every company seems to be talking about at the moment is that they're, they're not stopping here, as we've heard from Ubisoft and we've heard from other companies like, uh, oh, we're going to build these little interconnected universes where the uh, these games will come together and they can just, I suppose, make money forever. Um, so, but... What, yeah. So, how's that going to come about? Do you think this is going to be based off of 2042 and that they're going to try and roll that out into something or I really don't know dude um like a lot of this like I said kind of took me by surprise like I didn't expect EA to put uh, as a like as big a bet on Battlefield going forward as it seems like they have done with this there's a part of me that I will say I'll say up front is slightly concerned I think the we talked about Vince right one of the issues you've got with Vince is there are so many ways to, like first name terms, Vince, me and Vinny. <laughs> um, there's so many different ways to interpret that man's skill set, right? 
Mm-hmm. When the even if you when you you look at like let's break down Call of Duty for Modern Warfare, let's take Titanfall two, and let's take Apex Legends. Do you want Vince Sempella to do like um, to iterate on first person shooter design in the way he did with Modern Warfare, and like find bold new directions for that genre to go in at a time where you know maybe it's arguably getting stagnant and Call of Duty's big premium entries aren't hitting like they used to. Do you look at what he did with Titanfall 2 and say, actually, there's we, we need this guy to create the most polished versions of both the single-player and multiplayer products that these games can provide and make a happy marriage between the two and do what some would argue Halo Infinite's kind of doing at the moment, which is like, if you have a really good campaign and really good multiplayer and everything feels tight and fluid and polished, you bring that together for a great package, a Titanfall 2 package. Or do you take the Apex Legends thing, which is like, actually, this guy's work at Respawn, I know Respawn is more than just Vince Sampella, but for the sake of argument, created a very solid free-to-play outing, very solid Battle Royale game, also made very uh, made very clear cast of characters that uh, with very clear monetization options and monetization hooks, which at a time where Battlefield Insiders have suggested that the um, a, a shooter, a hero shooter, I should say, could be in the works, like, is that what they want Vince for? If they're, I'll, I'll summarize that in a sentence. I apologize. If they're taking Vince Sampella away from Respawn and into the Battlefield fold because they want him to be the lead designer or the or the project lead or the creative lead in some capacity of a Battlefield hero shooter, because hero shooters are the the trending thing and they're easier to monetize because, like, hey, this is your favorite character. Come and get their skins. It works for everyone else. Then that fucking sucks. You're right. Yeah, I'll say that up front. But. The wording around here, around this connected Battlefield universe, is that some of them, there's an opportunity there when they talk about shared characters and shared narratives. I'd like to see Vince Zampella take the reins, at least in part, on like a big blockbuster cinematic story in a Battlefield, in the Battlefield universe, or a campaign in the Battlefield universe. A campaign, Jamie, in a Battlefield universe. (laughs) Well, yeah, because they fucking like, I I think that what they told us was a campaign in Battlefield 5 and Battlefield 1, in both cases, were like, I get the whole weird vignette thing, yes, you tried something different. It didn't, it didn't feel right. And I'm reminded of Battlefield 3 and 4, which weren't great. Like, the writing and like, some of the narrative uh, elements of those games weren't that strong. But you're still playing like cool, big budget cinematic campaigns. Yeah. And I, I, again, Titanfall 2 had one of the best first person shooter campaigns of all time. It was like, it if was you're, really if you, fantastic, yeah. So please don't bring Vince Sampella into the battlefield fold to get him to design heroes for a hero shooter. It, that, that would bum me out. The idea that he could be on board and they could be talking around, talking about making, you know, going back to making a campaign for Battlefield. And especially if it's in that sort of 2042, that sort of near future-esque thing where he can stretch some of his sort of um, his his muscles when it comes to, you know, Titanfall being a futuristic type of shooter and including some new things in there and like Apex Legends, which is obviously sort of futuristic as well. That sounds wicked. Like if if he gets to do that, but yeah, the idea that it might not and it might just be designing hero characters would be so shit. Also, it worries me in the sense of where do uh, where do the games that he would have been working on go? Because right. just because um, that you might say, well, they're in safe hands, right? You might look at Jedi Fallen Order two, um, something like that. You might say, oh, come on, they've already made a first one. Uh, if they've already got to a certain point, it's safe to take him away from that and to put him onto something else. You can get some really big issues arise around games and really bad decisions that kind of completely cripple them and stop them being the epic game they would have been and end up being, 
you know, mediocre um, at some pretty late stages, I would have thought. So, yeah, I agree. It'd be interesting to see how, how all of it unfolds in the future. But I think that's how I'd summarize as well. It's a punchy move. And it's like, what's the dodgeball quote? I can't, I've got to wait and see how this plays out, Cotton, or something like that. Like, that's some yeah. quote there that I've forgotten. <laughs> I can't quite remember it, yeah. yeah. He will not be able to see Cotton. Was it? It's, no, I can never remember. It's because, uh, is it? Is it dodgeball where he says it's because they, they didn't, they left it all out on the court or something? It's because they didn't Maybe. want anything back. Is that that? Or is that the water boy? I might be getting confused. I, I, I that doesn't ring a bell as like oh, a memorable oh, dodgeball quote. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Dodgeball's a film with a lot of quotes. And that 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 one doesn't ring true. I do love Cotton Weary. He's great. <laughs> um, Who? Cotton isn't that his name? Cotton Weary. Is it Cotton Weary? Cotton Cotton is Cotton McKnight. Oh, is it McKnight? Oh, yeah, Cotton Cotton Cotton, Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks. They're the commentary team on ESPN Eight, The Ocho. <laughs> what the hell am I thinking of? Have you, have you just got like the, the, the wrong films across the board here? Like you've got the wrong dodgeball, you've got the wrong cotton, and you've got the wrong quote. Oh, weird! Cotton Weary is is, uh, is from Scream. I'm getting confused with Scream. Jesus, my my movie brain has just like gone weird. So cotton, cotton is the guy played by. Um, I always forget his name. Uh, uh, Gary Cole. Uh, who is from uh, from Office Space? Uh, no. What? No, oh, you'd recognise him. Cotton's the dude. Is the is is the guy from Arrested Development? No, that's Pepper. Oh shit! I'm thinking of Pepper because he's the because he says Cotton. That of course. That's why you're does. getting confused because he, he says Cotton and he's name doesn't he? he doesn't say his own name. He's talking to his co-commentator. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, this might be the most scuffed conversation you've ever had. Oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm uh, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm here for it. I'm, I'm glad Dodgeball, this happened uh, recently enough. Obviously, as a film that I've one of those films that I watch like every year. At some point, I'm like, just get Dodgeball out. But you know, it hasn't happened in the last couple of years. So maybe I should. There you go. Maybe that, that's something you need to work on. Yeah, yeah. Check out some Steve the Pirate. <laughs> um, Okay, nice. we've probably got time to touch on one final story, um, which is talking about your favourite thing, Jamie. Yeah. Well, okay. kind of your favourite thing. Rock it's star, like the opposite of my favourite thing. Rockstar, um, yeah. pro- proximal to Rockstar. Um, GTA 5 uh, have got some new lovely fresh content coming out um, for GTA Online specifically, and you're going to get to play as Franklin and do some stuff uh, with Dr. Dre. I don't think you play as Franklin. I think you're still going to be your GTA Online character. Oh, of course but you Franklin, are. Franklin, Franklin's back in the building, oh, which is the headline. Can you tell how long it's been since I've played GTA Online that I forgot that you don't play as the characters? I guess something in the ballpark of eight years. It's been a long time. <laughs> no, well, actually, no, we, played some, we played some at, Yeah, we did a stream when they released the casino. We did. We Was it we tried to spend a million dollars? Yeah, we basically got, we tricked our employers into letting us spend the budget for a video on... Uh, the uh, in-game money in GTA, which we then put in our own accounts and spent a whole video going to the casino and just spinning the wheel and spending, <laughs> seeing what we could win on the big. We screen. were we were we were high rollers that stream. James. That was good fun, remember. man. I like that. That was good. Just spending other people's money was great. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, we made a good habit out of that. We did, but this new DLC is called uh, the Cron- the contract, and it comes out on December fifteenth. 
Um, so the idea behind this is that Franklin is going to be running a celebrity solutions agency uh, and you're going to be tasked with retrieving Dr. Dre's stolen tracks. Um, there's also a new radio station and some uh, guest hosts popping in, like Dr. Dre, as you'd expect, but a bit of Snoop Dogg, who's been leaked, that he'll be on there as well. I'd imagine there might be a few other people popping in. You, 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 I've never seen a bullet point butchered so badly. What? You just you just skim read that, picked out the words you liked, and and made the rest up. Oh, Snoop Dogg leaked it. I see. This is a, so Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about in the podcast talked about how Dr. Dre had been in the studio working on stuff for a new GTA, oh, and we speculated right, what right, that could right. mean. And now we know it's um, it's this GTA Online expansion, which will have a new radio station with new hosts, uh, as you expect, but also new and unreleased tracks. From Dr. Dre. I don't know whether he made them for this or whether they he just had them in the vault. I'm going to say and that I wasn't wrong and Snoop Dogg will have a track on there as well. And that's Joy, I, I, you, ironically, you're probably right. With I, Dre. I actually agree with you. I actually agree with you. Uh, the, the main reason I wanted to bring this up is I just thought it was a bummer. Like, I think it's a little bit boring to get uh, angry at the lack of single-player DLC for GTA V after all these years. Again, it's been long enough we can move on. Clearly, it's it was never going to happen. And, you know, I just think it, it's like... It's a little bit... It feels like someone having, like, pulling on your heartstrings. Like, it's like emotional manipulation. Right. Having yeah. to sit down, open Twitter, and see a trailer where, like, Franklin, before my very eyes, is up and walking and doing things and, like, to know that Sean Fontaine or whatever his name was went back into the VO booth and recorded new lines for Franklin. Like, you did all of this. You got Dr. Dre in. You got a bunch of other... Like, you've got a new radio station, all this music, all this cool stuff, and it's like, but GTA Online... And I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch it. I can't. It's so inaccessible to me now. GTA Online. Like the amount of stuff I see online of people playing GTA Online, and I'm like, is that? How is that possible in a GTA game? Yeah. But, I don't but also, and what's going on? And I'm like, I, I'm. I'm thinking. I'm, I can't do that. I can't but, uh, do you, I don't know if you're the same as me, but do you remember? Like, so in the aftermath of that autumn gaming stream that we talked about. Um, for a couple of weeks, you and I both kept playing a bit of GTA Online yeah. here and there because, again, like we had characters with millions of dollars, and like money is a big sort of like a gate in in the online experience where like the cars you drive, the businesses you own, the things you take part in, a lot of it is you know gated by money. Um, and what I just found was like the way clear what were clearly previous like expansions and additions and sets of missions and and. Uh, blah 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 blah. everything was kind of piled on top of each other i found it like bizarrely inaccessible and like there were so many things i remember going through menus it was like this is part of that pact but you need to be this level and it costs that much money and you need to have completed that and it's like it was layers on top of layers and it's like yeah i guess you know this is what eight years of updating gta online looks like but also how the hell are you supposed to start playing gta online in 2021 it felt difficult to do yeah, no, I was exactly. Like where do you, where do you go? Like where do you yeah. go? What content do you do? How do you start making money? How do you start leveling up? Like it's it was it's a difficult one. I I felt completely it was completely inaccessible in that sense. Like it didn't. I you could obviously we did we got online and we played around with it and when we had all that money it was fun to just um kind of just go a bit crazy and go let's see what we can do. But there was yeah. zero like, reason to come back. Do you remember one time I logged in and like I joined you on a PlayStation chat and you'd like you owned a biker gang or something all of a sudden and at one point you were running your own nightclub 
and I came and visited your nightclub. I was like, I've no idea what's going on. Like that stuff's cool. Like I like the idea of all of that, but then it's it's all it's the same sort of thing of do you want to hop back into a server to play the same game again and again when there's nothing really to do except make your own story. It's the idea of like what Fallout seventy six kind of had a problem with, I guess, in some senses that oh you go on and do whatever you want. And you're like, were you going to give me anything to do? No, you just do whatever you want. And you're like, oh yeah. I want to go yeah, to uh, Sam. Only, um, I'm sorry, only boring people get bored. Make your own fun. <laughs> yeah, make your own fun. Start a biker gang. Start a, like a, go and get a, a, I don't know, a strip club. Do whatever you want. Like Jonesy, it's Forza Horizon 5. It's intrinsic versus extrin- extrinsic motivation. It is. It is. I don't have enough of the intrinsic motivation. I need some of the extrinsic stuff to go, to get me going. Yeah. And just, <laughs> hey, it's a sandbox isn't enough. That happens with old age. Need people to tell you how to have fun in a video game. Yeah, Breath know. of the Wild is like, hey, it's your playground. Like, I don't want it to be. Give me a marker. <laughs> I want someone to, uh, yeah, put a blanket over my lap. When do I? When do I level up? When does the game get easier? I don't want to. Yeah, do you know what I had for the other day for the first time? I watched my five-year-old playing a game, and he was smashing it. And I was like, oh. when the hell did he get this good at gaming? And I thought it's not going to be long before uh, he's better than me at everything, and I'm just going to quit. Do you think you have a prodigy in your hands, perhaps? Maybe. Although he was playing, what was he playing? He was playing Sonic, like Sonic Run or something. I don't know. Like where you, it's like an iPad game where you collect oh, right. things, as you'd expect. Like, like a Temple Run style thing. Yeah, kind of. You're just running away from the you know the screen and jumping over things and dashing through things and rolling into a ball and doing whatever. Mm. Was, yeah. And okay. I, felt, I felt old. I felt very old. I get. It. I reckon you put him in front of Valorant inside the next three to six months, and we're onto something here. Maybe get him streaming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Is it too late to give him plastic surgery to make him look a little bit more Asian? Uh, pr- no, not too late. Okay. I could probably try. I think you know. I think we've got an opportunity here to really turn this into something I profitable. Think, I don't think you need to look a bit Asian to get the money. I don't think that's no, I, no I don't, I'm just saying that I think being half Asian and being really good at Valorant is just a really oh, solid foundation right. to build a, at least a streaming a career. Stream. You've got to look yeah. legit because you've got to look legit, right? You can't just be legit. Exactly, exactly. Look the part. Yeah. And you've got to like cover your mouth every time you um, you get embarrassed or you laugh or something. You've just got to cover, like for some reason. It's embarrassing to show you. Just, it's baby steps, baby steps. Well, with that bombshell, we're at the end of the show. Um, thank you, mm. Jamie, so much for uh, coming along and being on the show this week. Um, once again, sorry that Chris wasn't here. He'll be here next week. Uh, he had to go somewhere and do lots of hard work, so that's why he's not with us today. Um, but he will be here next week. And so, I, oh, let's have a Chris-related code word to let us know that you got to the show, end of the show. What could we have? Mm. Hmm. I like that. I like the idea. Come home, it means Chris. That you, <laughs> come home, Chris. Yeah, sure. Come spot C-U-M. Come spot C-U-M. Come home, Chris. So let Chris let Chris see your love in the comments on the YouTube channel that you, you know that you wanted to come home and to do um, at least... Ooh, I was going to say one more. I think there might be two more pods before Christmas. No, one more. Um, let me see. So we're going to record next week. It, basically, it's up to us. It depends on what we do. One, so we record on Thursdays. One of them will fall on the 23rd, which I can say for myself is the day at which I begin traveling for festive-related activities. Uh-huh. So I, for example, will not be recording on the 23rd. But 
maybe we should have this conversation offline so we don't have <laughs> expectations, actually. Yeah, but maybe we should. We, we, as, as we've jointly discussed with, um, with the six lists and with Patreon content and stuff like that, there will still be stuff scheduled to come out over the Christmas period, so you guys love something. There will, absolutely. There'll be, uh, yes, there'll be three six lists, in fact, coming to the public um, uh, YouTube channel over the next few weeks. But if you don't want to wait till then, you can always join our Patreon. And if you join for $5, then you can check out the first six list, six list, which is up right now. And if you wait about another, let's say, week and a half, there'll be another two of them up there for you to watch. Yeah. There's also a whole bunch of other stuff that we put up there. Uh, some behind the scenes things, some old school videos some uh, that we made back in the day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't we record, we're actually recorded there. What's that series called? Will we just say whatever we want? Oh, it's had multiple names, and I always forget. Full Frontal? No, Full Frontal. Full Frontal, frontal, yeah. We we recorded an actual, with the camera on, us three in person, Full Frontal, when we were doing our six-list session. And that's one that's, again, on the $5 tier. So there you go. That could be a good starting point if you want something soft and simple. Soft and simple. I like it. That's how I'm often described. I don't know what the soft part refers to. Soft and simple. So, thank you so much, everybody, for uh, for watching, for listening. If you're on the podcast platforms, reach out to us on Twitter and YouTube at Super Show Pod. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Super Show, or you can listen to us on Paisley Radio, paisleyradio.com, Thursdays at 10 pm. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye.